do you guys ever just spend hours reading the forum, what people are saying to each other on the forum? Like, you mean like trolling it? Like, it? Like, just, yeah, like, just going through it. Like, because we get tagged a lot, right? We get tagged a lot on uh, questions and stuff. I pro- probably get tagged. Do you mean like when like there's 10 like 10 to 15 times? Like a long hour. thread where there's like 100 people that well, are like well, commenting on something? Well, what happens is because I get we get tagged so much that I make sure to answer the questions. And, you know, when people tag me, mm-hmm. that sometimes I forget to just go through the ones I'm not tagged through because I don't have time. Them. Yeah. And I'll, I'll look at a question or whatever and I'll be like, wow, there's 15 comments or 20 comments or there's obviously conversations going on. Man, these people are so uh, like helpful to each yeah. other. And the information they're giving each other is- It's legit. It's good. Yeah. It's good information. Yeah, there's a lot of le- legit people in there. Yeah. Sometimes I go through, I'm like, well, I want to make sure there's nothing, you know, if someone's saying something that may be you know, right. not right or whatever. Like a Jim Stepani army guy's in there just <laughs> infiltrating. Exactly. You know? No, it's all, it's all really, really good. And I can see, I mean- it makes sense why people consistently say our forum is like one of our best, one of the best things that we have, uh, you know, that we offer. It's just, it's, it's pretty amazing. I love it. Well, what I find amazing is that we were, they kept it up. Like, of course, when we first started it and there was 10 people in there, right? I mean, when the very beginning of this and we were helping everybody, you know, I, one of the biggest fears I had was I remember, and I remember thinking this, I mean, God, this is so great what we're able to do, but let's be real, when there gets thousands of people in here, there's no way we're, we can you know, possibly answer all these questions. But what's neat is to see that we created a culture in there mm-hmm. that has now fostered all these other great minds that everybody's helping each other. And it's, it's not like it's from professionals, you know what I'm saying? You got right. doctors and PTs. There's and, a lot of trainers, a lot of competitors. Yeah, just a, a lot of really smart people that want to grow and learn that are, are assisting each other. Well, you know? what's cool to me is when I look, when I go through and, and then people have questions and then other forum members will make recommendations for like programs and stuff and the feedback we get on some of our programs and like the No BS Six Pack Formula, really, really good feedback on that. Um, I mean, it, it they're saying it delivers, right? Because we, pro- well, we well, the promises we make with it is it's going to develop your abs. You're going to stick out more. People are commenting that that's actually happening, that they worked out their core before, but they didn't use or they right. didn't follow they didn't, a program like that. They didn't use like those that. techniques to that, to that degree. Right, and that they're seeing the more, more of the development. Um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is April for us is a year that we really made Mind Pump a business. Um, and so we want to do something special. So this month... If you enroll in any of our, our, our larger bundles, the RGB bundle, um, which is MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic, or our MAPS Super Bundle, which is that plus MAPS Anywhere and MAPS Prime, we're also going to give you the No BS Six-Pack Formula, and we're going to throw in the Nutrition uh, Guide and the Fasting Guide, so you get all that for free. Um, and then, on top of it, after you enroll, you'll get an offer for half off uh, the normal price for access to the forum. And the cool thing about the forum now uh, is once you enroll or once you're in, you're in. That's it. In the future, in the relatively new, near future, that's going to be an annual fee. Oh, yeah. Um, but once you're in, you're in. You never have to, you'll never have to pay that. So uh, great promotions running this month. And remember, the RGB bundle is nine months of exercise programming. And the MAPS Super Bundle is uh, MAPS Anywhere and MAPS Prime in, in addition to that. So it's, you're pretty much set. I mean, you can pretty much follow those programs and cycle through them. And you're done. You're pretty much done with your workout programming. You can find those at mindpumpmedia.com. If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews.
always, always excited to talk to this man. Now, I have a, a little bit of a bias with this guy because um, we have tons of great guests. We have tons of brilliant guests. Mm. But I enjoy talking to Tom probably more than any guest we've had yet because his business mind is insane. Yeah. Um, he's just, he's on such another level than almost anybody or any other guest we met. We've get, we've now we've met guests from a, you know, scientific, brilliant yes, minds. Yeah, right? Scientific, yeah. brilliant mind on a whole nother level, but his business mind is ridiculous. So, and we cover a lot of that in his episode mm. right now. I got a chance to really pick his brain and then off air too. We got to talk a lot, but man, if you're an entrepreneur, and you're not following this guy. You're already fucking up. He's, well, a, he's a must follow. He's right? quite He's quite the visionary. I mean, what he talks about with impact theory and what the goal is with impact theory in this upcoming interview, he's really, he's he's looking far ahead and he sees mm. what's what's going to happen and he's grabbing onto it. Um, and he wants to be uh, one of the prime, uh, you know, kind of drivers of the new uh, kind of media industry. But he's got... Um, you know, his own motivations behind it. Um, he, I believe he's very accurate with how he understands how narrative and entertainment is really what drives uh, right. culture. That's what really, you know, I connect with because I, I think in, in I think really deep about things and I, and I attach myself to different, um, you know, like stories like a Star Wars or like, I'm, I'm always wondering why that resonated so much with me. And, he really has a, a, a an awesome way of articulating like how that affected him and then you know what motivates and drives him and why he's you know attracted to those type of uh, uh stories and what that can do for you and and influencing the culture around us and stuff and so he's he just he just has a way of really looking at the world in, in a unique way and then also just a killer killer business mind man he's he's quite dynamic uh one of i actually watched uh one of his because uh, he's got a great youtube channel right now it's part of impact theory uh the youtube channel is actually under his name tom billu his last name is spelled b-i-l-y-e-u i just watched his interview with mel robbins who she has a fantastic ted talk too um and it was one of those videos that you watch and right away you have takeaways like right away i applied some of what she talked about, and it's uh, it's pretty awesome. But his YouTube cha- channel is awesome. You got to check it out. You can find him on Instagram at Tom Billu or Impact Theory, and the same thing on Twitter. So, without any further ado, here we are interviewing Tom Billu, the man. The sound is better today. It does. Or maybe we're just sober. <laughs> More than likely, it's that. keep it real, dude. Yeah, we had a, always we had a little some uh, Moscow mule and little, party little, accessories. Right? Yeah, <laughs> little alcohol and cannabis for the yeah. late. Did night you say? Did you say you knew who Mike was? Do you know who that is? Um, I know him by name. Okay, but never mind. That's before. it. Yeah. yeah, good dude. Really good dude. Yeah, that nice. was a that was a fun. Definitely, you know, it's always great too. I, we love we love like shocking people that. You know, they come on our show and they just assume if you just, you know, because you don't have time to fucking, if you don't know who we are, you don't have time to research our bullshit. All you know is we look like meatheads. Yeah. 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 So, oh, we're going to talk about and our web And our website sucks, like, right? We're going to have so a bro high five like, at some point. So yeah. they, they see that, they put it, ah, okay. And then, they, but, and then it's like you see this transition. Like it takes about a half hour, hour of like conversation and dialogue. Like, oh, wow, we haven't even talked about dumbbells yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the fun of it when you're interviewing somebody and you see like partway through the interview, their vision of who you are changes. Like in real time, you see it happen. We talk yeah, about this all the time. We see that with almost every guest. Their posture changes. Their leg gets right. up. You're like, oh, wow. <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah. 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 I remember when we, we interviewed Dr. Terry Walls. Terry Walls. I've heard the name, but don't know. So she developed the Walls method, 
very, very smart uh, doctor and scientist, and she, uh, you could hear it like 15 minutes into the interview. Well, we had she's a, like, oh, cool, we can hang out. Right. Well, we had a hard time with like, you know, there's more to that. She's a very busy woman. Uh, we had we had a really hard time. That was one of the first times we used Skype to Skype somebody in. I remember, and we were having a hard time getting her connected. So we were behind. They were running behind for like 10 minutes. So you could tell she was irritated. You know. Right. And then when she, I think when she realized our message was pure and genuine, you know, and I think when she, and then you saw, you could just hear it in her voice. It was, yeah. cr- it was like night and day oh. difference. Yeah. And that was, yeah, it was like an octave. Like yeah. from, uh, <laughs> but yeah. people, you see you hear their it. body language right away. Yeah. As soon as they, when they get to that point where they get comfortable with that. Dude, sure. I want to bring up your, sh- your shirt again. Yeah. He's got like the best shirts because I will not trying to say anything good about myself, but I was the only one that knew (laughs) that is very true. (laughs) Whatever it is. That's it's a little deep. That's what it is. It's a little deep in the matrix. It's got the white bunny and it says follow. And right away, I was like, oh, it's the girl. It's Alice in Wonderland, too. Exactly. So don't take that from me. Yeah. (laughs) I can't. That's why you can't. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, you only gave Justin like eight seconds. Yeah. He walks up. What is this? It's a white body. I'm like, whoa. whoa." I just, (laughs) what do you want from me? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know we were playing a game. Yeah. Would you mind telling uh, our audience a little bit about your Matrix story? And uh, well, actually, let's go into impact theory. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Well, what is impact theory? What do you guys do? All right, Impact Theory is, uh, it really was born out of a book that I read called The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And in it, he talked about how the way that humans used to convey um, ideology, how to live, all of that stuff was through mythology. And the interesting thing about mythology of old is that people actually believed that it was true. So if you think about the craziest story that you can imagine, the gods punishing somebody, the Cassandra complex is one of my favorite. And as a parent, you'll get this. So Cassandra was being punished by the gods, and her punishment was that she would know the future, but nobody would believe her. Which literally sounds to me like being a parent, right? Like, you know what those kids are headed for. You know what it's about. Your daughter going on her first date at like 15. You know what she's in for. Because Sounds like Sarah Connor from uh, Terminator. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well said. You and I, like, we're going to have to go like totally geek out at some point. Dude, yes. So bring the popcorn. Please do. Uh, That like is you know, that's how we transmitted all of these ideas. Mm. And people believed them. And then his whole thesis, Joseph Campbell's whole thesis, is what happens to the world when people no longer believe that the mythology is real? So if the way that we transmit the most powerful and disruptive ideas is narrative, and the dominant form of narrative are these mythological stories, and then people know that they're fake, what happens? And he said, look at the world around you. Many of the ills that we face today are a result of that. Now, I worked in the inner cities a lot. And working in the inner cities, you realize that perspective is everything. So one of the interview questions that I used to ask at Quest, and and to back up and give you just a little more context, um, so at Quest, we got into manufacturing. And manufacturing, the only place you're going to find enough real estate at a reasonable enough price is going to be in the inner cities, which Mm -hmm. means you're hiring from people that are local, which means it's inner city kids, right? Mm -hmm. That's who works on a production line. So you're bringing people in. And normally, the hard part is in that area, a lot of people have had a run-in with the law. And... What we did was my whole shtick is I don't care where you've been. I just want to know who do you want to be and what's the price you're willing to pay to get there, right? So that is interesting to me. That tells me like who they're willing to become. And that is where I get really fascinated. And somebody that's on fire to become something new, like they're going to bust their ass for you. So I put a word out into the neighborhood. I don't care if you have a felony conviction. I don't care if you're a former drug dealer, gang member, whatever. You got the teardrop tattoo. We actually had some of those. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't care about any of that. I just want to meet you face to face. And I was gambling on the fact that I could look you in the eye 
And I could tell if you had done bad things because mm. you're a bad person or if you had done bad things but you're a good person and that we could really help you become something. And my belief was if you get, I think in movies, right? Shawshank Redemption, anybody? Yes. Absolutely. All right. Hope is a dangerous thing, right? But a hope gives somebody something to hold on to, to fight for, to keep going, to literally in the movie crawl through a half mile of shit mm. and get out the other side to freedom. That's what hope does, man. Hope is a driver. When you have a vision of who you can become, like that's what working out is. Working out is the hope that you can improve yourself. You can become something else. And whether it was people were bullying you or you just want to get the attention of women, it's like there is a real thing on the other side of transforming your physique for people. And so that's hope. And I wanted to give these people hope. I wanted to show them that getting a felony conviction was not a death sentence. And my belief was if I could show them that, if I could show them that I really cared about what they were trying to do, that they would then work their asses off for me and that we'd be able to pull this off. Because in the beginning, we had to do something that was just extraordinary. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had to produce this massive amount of bars. We had to do it on really old equipment that sort of hardly worked. And so I needed people that were really going to work hard. So we throw that out in the neighborhood. doesn't matter if you have a felony conviction. They come in in droves. Wow. It was Hmm. insane. Literally, they would line up around, not quite around the block, but like down in front of the buildings. People like, what is going on here? Wow. People would come in. They wanted that opportunity. They wanted the opportunity. I wouldn't even look at the resume, and I would say, look, I just assume you have a felony conviction, so don't panic. But talk me through, like, I need to know who you are. And so those interviews were super weird, as you can imagine, because you can't ask the traditional questions. So I start asking stuff like this. Let me ask you a question. I know that looks like a water bottle, but it's actually a Magic Genie bottle. And when you open, a Magic Genie is going to pop out. And you can ask for one thing and one thing only. And it has to be for yourself. Can't wish to cure cancer, bring somebody back from the dead. It's got to be like, what do you want? And the answers that I got were so terrifying that I realized like, (laughs) whoa, we're like in a really bad place here. So what do you think? Was There was one answer. It was so common. Almost everyone gave the same answer. What do you think it was? World peace. Nope, no, 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 no. Something for yourself. Oh, yeah. world peace. Yeah. <laughs> you said about world peace. It's a bad peace. area, dude. Come on. Yeah. Oh, another chance? Another chance. Good guess. Not the right answer. Hmm. I don't know, Justin, man. what do you have for me? <laughs> I don't know. Love? Acceptance? Yeah. God, these are... These no, are that's, you're way that's, too that's, high. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I'm trying to... That's a whole other level of self-awareness. Right. They don't yeah, get that yeah. level of self-awareness yeah. right no now. Uh, what is it? A somebody meal? believe is in them? Like, like a home? Security? Just somebody to believe in them. Even this is so fascinating. I wish right now this were like a soundproof room where you guys had headphones on and in the other room I'm asking the inner city kids like what their answer is so we could juxtapose like back and forth. Yeah, oh, yeah. How, how far off yeah, we are. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, a, yeah. like a brand new bed or like a... Now you're getting close. Oh, a person. Oh, I see. To a person just tangible Almost things. everybody, anyway, said, I want a job. Now, okay. they're saying I want a job because they think that's what I want to hear, right? right? right. So okay. it's not actually what they would ask a magic genie. So I would say, come on, motherfucker. We both know <laughs> yeah. you do not want a job. Your ass would sit at home all day chilling, smoking a blunt if you could. True yeah. or false? <laughs> yes, that's true. Okay, then why the fuck? I said it's a magic genie. <laughs> it's a magic genie. <laughs> you ask stupid. a fucking magic yeah, genie. Jesus, get right. your job. That's come boring. On. Come on. So it's not a parole officer. It is a magic genie. What do you want? Really, for real? And then like you would push and prod and like, okay, well, why did you say you wanted a job? I want money. Okay, so you want money. So here's a magic genie. Why don't you ask the magic genie for money? Okay, cool. Well, but you have to be specific. Tell him how much money do you want? Every one of them, then truly this to a person gave the same answer. What? Any guesses? Million dollars. One million dollars. You are 100% correct. Mm. And that's when I was, I was defeated at that crazy moment. amount. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember like, being that kid. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I remember let, being let's that go kid. look at Zillow, like homie. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah. And 
Zillow is available to them. It's not like all these guys have cell phones. So it's not like they're existing in a world where they didn't have access to the information, but they weren't accessing it. It was so outside Mm. of their purview of what to think about. And it made me realize perspective is everything. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't even know like what to ask a magic genie for, you you're done. You were done, my friends, because, but really you were up against the one problem that cannot be combated accidentally. And that one problem is your perspective holds you down. Your perspective keeps you small. Your perspective makes you think of very small things and you're never going to encounter anything that pushes you to think bigger, right? Mm. And that's why it happens geographically. This is happening here in Los Angeles. This is literally in a a car from where we are right now. Mm -hmm. I was getting these answers where we're like 20 minutes away. Okay, so 20 minutes away from where we're all sitting right now, we're surrounded. Like, for those of you who can't see where we are, it's fucking beautiful where Mm. these guys have this house. So you're surrounded by multimillionaires right now, okay? All that think in a totally universe different way than these kids in the inner cities. Mm -hmm. And so I began to formulate this notion of mindset. It's generational poverty, right? Now, generational poverty isn't about money. It's about mindset. You can have a monk that doesn't want to do anything. They're not trying to scale the ladder. They're not trying to uh, be remembered. They, they want to go day to day, be here, present in the moment and love that. And they are not lost individuals. But then you can go to these guys and realize that they don't know what they want in life. Uh, they feel trapped by the system. They don't believe that they're ever going to have anything. They don't um, even think like on a grand enough scale to have a vision to go and chase something. So what I started realizing at that moment is the way to help these people is just to introduce them to a mindset that's empowering. And then from there, like they can start reading and doing just like some really basic fundamental things that'll expand their vision of what's possible. Because once your vision is expanded to what's possible, and let's bring it back to Shawshank Redemption, Mm -hmm. you have the vast majority of the characters in the film don't believe that you can tunnel your way out that you're going to get caught, that whatever's going to happen, it's just, why would you even start? It would take so long. It would take, you know, I think he even says in the movie, that would take like 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it ends up taking him 19, Mm -hmm. right? But he knew, handful by handful, stuff my pockets full, on a long enough time scale, I get through this. That's belief, right? And so what impact theory is, is how do you give that belief on a global scale? Now, I'm a huge believer that, don't try to change behavior, leverage it. So I'm not going to run around giving talks in the inner cities and trying to convince them, hey, think differently. It's not going to work. That's mm-hmm. not how we assimilate disruptive information. The way that we assimilate disruptive information is through narrative. We are meaning creation machines. That's what people do. I can show you the clouds. You look at the clouds. You'll see a face. You'll see a duck. You'll see, oh, that looks like the first car that I had. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. None of that's there. Okay, <laughs> They're clouds, right? So we're making that up in our minds. And so that is utterly fascinating to me. So you can get people to start creating all of this insane meaning out of something when it's actively constructed to generate meaning, right? That's what narrative does, is it takes these elements and it brings them together, characters, emotions, storylines, in order to deliver you meaning in the form of thematics and takeaways and all of that. And that's what we do. But people think of it just as being entertainment, Mm -hmm. right? So it gets dismissed. People aren't really wringing the information out that they could. So when I looked at it from a no bullshit, what would it take? I want to leverage behavior. I don't want to change it. I'm going to be incepting people at the five points of narrative styles that are relevant today. And that is books, comic books, movies, TV shows, video games. Those are your five dominant forces. So if we can find a way 
to make each one of those um, pieces revolve around a theme of empowerment, going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, we can actually have global impact. And to me, you have to play the game. No bullshit. What would it take? And so really just understanding, I'm going to work within the psychological framework that exists today. Humans are uh, meaning-making machines, the way that they derive meanings from narrative. That's just where I ended up, right? So that's just working backwards from the problem. So, But at the same time, businesses have to be self-sustaining. Now, how do companies that do traditional narrative, how do they actually make money? Well, let's look at the greatest example of all time, Disney, right? They like so far and away have been more successful than every other studio. First of all, they came along in the 1930s in the Great Depression (laughs) and were making an obscene amount of money. For now, they were making a lot of money. For back then, it was like absolutely crazy ridiculous. And in ways nobody even imagined, cartoons. Uh, Not only did they not imagine it, they told Walt, you're out of your mind. Like that's A, it's childish. B, it's already dying. So people were saying, did or do... It's, it's dying, bro. Like, it, yeah, it was playing for a bit in front of some of the movies, but nobody's really going in on that now. Like, what are you doing? And he just had this crazy vision about what it could be. But the most important gift that he gave us, and this was in 1930, and people still aren't doing it, is what's called a total merchandising strategy. Now, every studio has a merchandising strategy, but no one has picked up on the one fundamental thing that Disney understood and that Impact Theory is going to disrupt Disney because we not only understand their total merchandising strategy in a way that nobody else does, but we're doing it in the moment today using social technology, the ability to build communities and all that. So I'll wrap this up because I know Ooh, we're going to fucking me up here. No, go like for that. it, man. <laughs> so this is how it works. This is what Disney understood and nobody else does. Disney is a brand. And the only way to be a brand of meaning is to stand for one thing and one thing only. He stood for the magic of childhood. That's mm-hmm. I'm rounding it to that. That was a little bit different in his mm-hmm. mind. But it was the magic of childhood. That's what he wanted to create. It was pure, wholesome, family-friendly. You knew if you went to see a Disney movie, it was not going to be a slasher something. film. Yeah. There wasn't going to be any sexual um, double entendres. It was going to be family-friendly stuff. It's going to be really human. He prided himself on getting his characters to convey real human emotion. He could feel connected to them despite the, despite the fact that they were cartoons. And it just continues to mushroom and grow and grow. And get this. You guys ready for this one? Yes. I can't fucking believe this is true. If you go back and look at historians, one of the things that they credit with getting America out of the Great Depression is Disney's story of the three little pigs. You're kidding me. I kid you not. And the story what? that they, so they wrote a song. I've never heard Well, well yes, look at the, look at the story it. of it. Look yeah. at the story of it, right? Exactly. So at the time, it's like this whole downtrodden thing. Like everybody just feels bad. And here's the thing about the economy. It's all fake, right? It's all fake. People get scared to spend money because people say you should be scared to spend money. Right. If you have a job and your pay does not go down, why would you change your lifestyle? Yeah, who cares about the... Okay? Yeah. You change your lifestyle because you're afraid. Now you're afraid right. you're going to lose your job. Ooh. Now maybe you don't go ask ooh. for that raise because you're afraid that, ooh, I might get fired, right? Yeah. It yeah. changes everybody's mind. Not If somebody they loses their job, then that's hitting. very real. Yeah. Right, exactly. So if you lose your job, that's very real. You actually have less money. But if you don't lose your job, and most people actually don't understand this. They think when they go into depression that somehow their money is like doing less. Your money actually does more because prices begin coming down because the people who do lose their jobs can't afford it. So it's like, that's why they say invest when there's blood in the streets. Mm -hmm. When everything's going Mm -hmm. wrong, if you're one of the people with the jobs. That's when you buy. Yeah, fucking buy. Mm -hmm. So anyway, in the story, The Three Little Pigs, they write this song called Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? And it becomes the rallying cry pushing back against the depression. So the depression becomes the big bad wolf and everyone's saying like, we're not afraid of it anymore. And sincere, real scholars say that was one of the things. Wow. It was such a cultural phenomenon. Wow. They could pinpoint it to that. Yeah. 
I mean, look, are you going to get everyone to agree? Yes, it was the no. But it's like one of those where it is taken very seriously as it it had such an impact on the spirits of people and was such a cultural phenomenon Mm -hmm. that... Yes, people say it's one of the things that you are talking about human psychology, for yep. goodness sake. I mean, that's oh, just how sense. we operate. And Whoa. I mean, there's a reason why we believe in things. There's an evolutionary purpose for right. it. It's what drove the first guy to go over that mountain to search the new land, knowing that there's there, he doesn't know what's over there. Am I going to get food over there? How am I going to bring back food for my tribe? I'm going to die. But I believe in something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, spirituality came from that. Art came from that. I mean, the, the expanding the human consciousness how, came from How that. excited do you get about like people... Uh, uh, like Jamie Wheel and Genome Project and stuff like that. Are you, tell yeah, me. Oh, man. Jamie's my boy. So both Stephen Kotler <laughs> and Jamie Wheel, like I love those guys so much. And I had him on Impact Theory. We did the interview, Red Stealing Fire, did a book review of that, um, which was just insanely fun, A, yeah. to read, and B, to do the book review. And I always feel like I, I don't, I'm, I'm never sure if I'm like ratting him out. So, Jamie, you're going to have to tweet me or something and let me know <laughs> like if I talk too much. But um, he he is... 10 times more interesting off camera. Like, mm-hmm. and I think he's fucking amazing oh, yeah. Yeah. on camera. But off camera, when he's like not like he'll just fucking talk, he is this hyper intellectual guy. He is super, super bright and he's very adventurous. And so his understanding of like psychedelics and how to leverage them and all this stuff is is unbelievable. You're gonna love the episode we did with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, oh you're gonna love it. Yeah, we we got into all that. He was so man, I can't he's got what in July? Is it in July? He's got it coming up to Big Sur. Have you heard him talk about it? Like the no. little the little domes that they're not domes, they're like he's setting up like these and it's got the you know hot coal, it's got the infrared, it's got all bungee the, jumping. Yeah, yeah, bungee wow. jumping stuff. Basically a place where you can reach stasis through every yeah. known, you know, legal method. All the tools. stretching yeah. your capacity yeah. even further by putting you in these like really high intensified, you know, mm-hmm. like ultimate level sort of situations and, yeah. and your body like acclimates to that now. Mm-hmm. So so, so it's with, pretty interesting. So with impact theory, you're looking at taking uh, the the most effective in 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 your opinion but also in my opinion and I think I think it's true what the most effective medium of especially today gaining getting people to believe and giving them hope which is through media entertainment through book through you know like you said comic book through you know movie TV through internet and you're trying to develop, uh, these stories and these narratives that uh, promote and push this, or not, or, or at least encourage this belief through these narratives. And yeah, how do you go about finding these very specific stories that kind of fit within like the message that you're trying well, to? Right. to well, go you know, with. before yeah. we even go into that, you're a huge fan of mm-hmm. uh, narrative. You're a huge, huge uh, Matrix fan, Star Wars fan. Like you, you, and they all, all these narratives that are super powerful kind of have a similar. You know, vain, right? They no all. They, what is that? Explain that. Yeah. So I really, really. I mean, this is my fundamental thesis that hiding in pop culture, pop mythology, are all the things that you need to know about how to live your life that will empower you and allow you to do whatever it is you want to do. So, uh, Batman, The Matrix, and Star Wars made me the entrepreneur that I am today. So That's just, truth. So just nobody's out there helping you decode that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, and we now live in a world where you've got the social component where. Um, so if you look at what we're doing at Impact Theory, we put out all this social content, a lot of it commentary on something else, so a book review or whatever. We're going to start doing movie reviews. We're actually going to start doing movie nights, 
where we invite the filmmakers, we invite the audience, and we break down the film, not in like a critical studies way, but like, what can you extract from this? Mm -hmm. Like, what are the lessons? How can you apply this stuff? Because you've got humans writing these stories. So they're giving you some real emotional moment that they understand that they've been through whatever, either trying to get you a cathartic moment so that you can get past something or trying to show you a moment of overcoming an obstacle or, you know, rising up above something. So, you know, going back to what I was saying about Disney, Disney understood that you had to make family-friendly movies. What we understand, and that it needs to be consistently that, so that you become the brand Mm -hmm. and you can bring things in. So he wasn't, he didn't make the mistake of being Mickey Mouse, okay? Mm. This is what every other studio makes the mistake of doing. Disney did not become Mickey Mouse Studios. They became Disney Studios. Mickey Mouse was a character. When Mickey Mouse started to get played out, which it did... He brought in Donald Duck, who was the antithesis on purpose, the antithesis of Mickey Mouse. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. All of the writers felt really hemmed in. Mickey had to be so pure. So they wanted a character that could be a bit of an asshole and that you could, he would always get his comeuppance, right? So it still felt Disney. It wasn't like they were championing a bad guy, but now you had a bad guy. He could act out, act the fool. He would get his comeuppance in the end. And so all felt right with the world. But it all came back to Disney, right? And so they end up creating all these different characters, but it all relates back to one brand. So that's what we're doing at Impact Theory, where it's, whether it's a comic book, uh, whether it's a movie, a novel, it doesn't matter. It could be a million different characters. But you know that that character is going to go on the hero's journey. He's going to go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, from being disempowered by his view of the world, right? So going back to my notion of ending generational poverty, you have to show them. They have to see themselves. You have to see the kid who says, I want a job. Actually, I'm lying. I want money. Okay, how much money? A million dollars. A million dollars. You're fucking crazy. Million dollars not even going to buy you a house. To yeah. like, okay, now at the end of the movie, believes that they are capable mm. of all this insane shit. And then like 80s style fucking Rocky Four, you show them train their ass off and they get better. <laughs> Building and, that montage. Yes. Yeah. Dude, why do those work? Because they give you the chills. Like as a human being, like oh, yeah. it's all condensed. It's music, it's emotion, and it's aspiration. You mm-hmm. see somebody through hard work, grinding it out. There's something in us. That we feel good when we work hard, right? Part of your brain just goes, you did it, man. Like other people were not willing to do that and you did that. So when you see those moments where your hero, they're down, they're relatable, right? That's why these movies work so well. Rocky, in the beginning, Rocky is me. Right. He's me or maybe even a little worse than me, right? So like I really like him. And that's why I can be into him when he finally, in the end, breaks the unbreakable Russian because it's like I was with him for that transformation. I'm projecting myself onto him. The music, the emotion, like I'm right there. I'm feeling it. I want to do it. Like I remember watching The Karate Kid and then going out wanting to kick the shit out of my neighbors, (laughs) right? Because you're so jazzed. You fucking want to be. And you tried to be Karate Kid. What's wrong? I want to be Johnny. Fuck, that doesn't work in real life. What does that mean about (laughs) you? wants to be Johnny. It means you're a bad person. (laughs) No, these guys make fun of me all the time because I'll I'll say something like between like Superman and Batman and I'm just like I did not relate to Superman. Yeah. You know, that guy was an asshole. Like he comes <laughs> to Earth, he's got unlimited power. There's just like kryptonite is the only thing stopping him. There's like no villains. Get out of here with that. Like I can't relate <laughs> to that shit. You ready? I'll make it your favorite superhero. And so this is Don't another this shout thing, out man. to DC. DC, I, right. I, you need to give me the rights. Okay, so, here we go. Yeah, all, a lot of these. Convince me. Give me the rights. Here it is. Superman is only interesting in areas where he either loses his powers. So if you saw oh, Superman yeah. 2, he's challenged. Amazing, yes. Yes. right? And he gets right. his ass kicked in Good. a bar yeah. like any other guy. And then that moment where he comes back 
Oh, and he's got his powers and he gets revenge and the guy that bullied him. That was amazing. Then the other is put the powers way in the background and make this all about somebody who doesn't want to have to save everybody and the huge responsibility. It would suck to be Superman, like for real. Mm. So A, the powers are you're cool. obligated. Right. The powers are cool when you're in high school and they get you yeah. laid. Okay. Yeah. So gotcha. at that point, like being Superman and your dad's telling you not to run and you're like, got the uh, super dick, you know, it's ready. <laughs> you got super everything like, and he can't show any of it. So like, to me, the moment you show Superman fighting, flying, crashing through things, there's no stakes. Cause I know he's not going to die. Yeah. So that's just not interesting. So the whole world of Superman, Superman is an allegory for passion, which is, Hey, you've got this guy who's totally ordinary until the yellow sun comes along. And once he has a yellow sun, then he can do extraordinary things. So as an allegory for that, it's really important for people to understand, hey, you can be like Superman if you find out what that thing is that makes you feel alive, Mm -hmm. because then you're special, right? Because you'll push harder, you'll do more, you're actually capable of more. I mean, that is a truth of humanity. You are capable of more when you feel on fire and alive than when you just feel dull, numb, you're not interested in it. It is crazy how creative people get, how late they'll stay up, how hard they'll push when they they find that that thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you want people to feel that. Oh, for yeah. sure. Why? For sure. Why do I want them to feel yeah. alive? Totally selfishly. I want to live yeah. in a world where more people are just on fire for what they do and they're making Because the you have place. a passion for this. Yeah, like, my, I want people to do that too, but you have a deep-seated yeah, passion. For yeah. sure. Where does that come from? Uh, it's a neurological drug addiction. So we <laughs> really though, right? So any, anything anybody ever tells you, it's all because they get a neurochemical reward. So I'll give you an example. Mother Teresa. If Mother Teresa felt badly about herself and vomited every time she helped somebody, she never would have done it. It wouldn't make sense. It made her feel good about herself, and rightly so, but it made her feel good about herself. And so she was just chasing that which made her feel most at one with God, like she was doing God's work, and that made her feel whole and connected. So it was a wonderful experience for her to do that. It doesn't mean it was easy. It just means it was wonderful. It was mm-hmm. powerfully rewarding. So same for me, right? It's not that it's easy what I'm trying to do, but the moment of awakening where you see somebody come up out of the matrix and they become capable of something that they weren't capable of minutes before just because they now believe in themselves, I get like I get the chills. That gives me the chills. They say the greatest emotion ever is awe. Mm-hmm. And that moment leaves me in awe of the human condition. And so I am just incredibly grateful that that is either through wiring or I've just slowly reinforced it in myself to see somebody wake up to the possibilities to have hope for the first time. Like I will tell you one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid. This is by a kid back at Quest. His sister was shot to death in the heart with an AK-47 right in his lawn. That's, that's growing up hard, okay? Mm-hmm. That's brutal. And he um, was almost convicted of attempted murder. He didn't do it. He knew who did it. But he said, if I had ratted, they would have killed my family. So he's like, in my neighborhood, like it's, it's not even an option. He's like, I, we're always so confused when the cops come along. And it's like, do you know how much worse it would be? Like going to jail would suck, but me ratting, staying out of jail and you killing my family, like it, it's not a hard choice. Mm-hmm. So he was like more than prepared to go to jail. And luckily they found evidence that proved it wasn't him. So they didn't have to say who it was. And I thought, wow, man, that, that's seriously sure. bold. But wow. that kid comes to me, so trying to create all this opportunity for him, help him work his way up. And he comes to me one day, literally, because this kid is tough as nails. And he comes to me, and he's crying, and he's like, you want more for my success than my own mother. Hmm. Not that his mother doesn't want good things for him, but he was like, I'd put it into action, right? Mm-hmm. I'd create, try to create opportunities for him. That kind of, like, that sticks with you forever. It sticks with me forever, right? That mm-hmm. was like one of those moments where I'm like, well, if anybody ever wonders why I do this, like because that moment feels so good. 
you went through a transformation yourself. Do you see some of this, some of what you see in these kids or in these stories with yourself, starting from where you started to where you are now? Yeah, 100%. I used to think that I grew up, um, I wouldn't have used the word hard, but I used to think like my family kind of teetered, white collar, blue collar. Like my dad worked as a mechanic for a while. I couldn't have every cool toy that I wanted. I had the generic skateboard when I wanted the Tony Hawk. You know what I mean? And I like really felt bad about it until I met these kids and then realized that I was just a rich, privileged asshole growing up. Uh, so yeah, they they really have grown apart. So I don't want to paint myself as if I had it like that. Well, not but, necessarily like that, but the story of where you were yeah, to where you are definitely. now and that climbing and the, the weight loss and oh, the, it's all, all the challenges. Yeah, definitely. It's all perspective. In your mind, it was that rough for you. That's right. where you, I At think you have to have empathy on yourself when you are like that. Because I feel the same way too. I, every, there's always somebody who went through more. There's always going to be somebody who has a, a scarier story or went through more. I mean, that's not shame. The fact that you have that perspective and that awareness that you saw that you've now turned that to providing something like this. I mean, when you look at it, when you're looking at your platform, what you're building with Impact Theory, and uh, how do you how do you decide who you're going to bring on? Like right now, you're doing like you've got incredible interviews that you've been putting on there. I watch most all of them. Um, how do you decide that process? It's got to be somebody that legitimately inspires me. So my promise to the audience is your life will be better if you watch the show than it would be if you didn't. And so to really make good on that, I just use myself as the filter. If I'm moved, if they really taught me something, make me feel more alive, I get fascinated, really drawn into their world, um, then I want to bring them. And then I know I'll be able to do a good interview because I can show real, authentic um, passion, connection, enthusiasm for what they've done. Um, otherwise then you're, you're kind of faking it. And I think that the audience is going to feel that really, yeah. really fast. So that's a, that's a big part of it for me. What is, well, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask, uh, out of all the guests you've had, who's impacted you the most? Wow. That's a great question. Um, different people have impacted me in different ways. Do you guys know Faraz Sahabi? I may have asked you about that last time. Yeah. He's the trainer for, um, George St. Pierre. Yes. Yeah. So that dude just is unbelievable. The way that he's balanced mind and body uh, is is utterly astonishing. To me, he is the modern-day Bruce Lee, and I will not be content until he is world-famous. Um, and I just, I don't know that he has, like, the ache to be out in front of the camera, which makes me very, very sad. Uh, <laughs> because I really, really believe... Do you guys know who Susan Boyle is? Mm -hmm. All right, Susan Boyle goes on um, Britain's Got Talent. There you go, yes. And she comes on, like, sort of a frumpy housewife and says she's about to sing, like, one of the most difficult songs to make sound good ever. And so everyone thinks, oh, she's one of the setups that's going to come out and embarrass herself, and we all get a chuckle. And, and she comes out, and she crushes that song. And it is otherworldly. And I remember I saw this before I'd heard anything about it. There was no hype. I, because my wife's British. I was in the UK. And they're like, you have to watch this. And when she starts singing, you're like, how has this woman hidden for this long? <laughs> like, this is a prodigious, world-class talent. Yeah. And she is, no one had any idea she could sing. That's how I feel about Frost. It's like, Dude, how are you not the most famous person on the fucking wow. planet? Like, he, he's a philosopher warrior. He is a legitimate fighter. He can fight at the just highest, highest level. And he was on a path to becoming a professional fighter when he realized, okay, maybe I have a little more talent for coaching. Hmm. But he's created world champions and is just the ultimate badass. So he's, he's a guy, and I interviewed him back at, at Inside Quest. I haven't interviewed him yet on Impact Theory, though we are trying to make it happen. 
uh, which would be amazing. I really think this guy is just extraordinary. But then I'm also obsessed with the mind. And so there have been a lot of guys that have come on the show, like um, David Eagleman, V.S. Ramachandran, Moran Surf, who most people don't know. But these guys just from a neurology standpoint, oh, man, what they've taught me about the brain is is unbelievable. What are some of the things you've learned through them? About the brain yeah, specifically? Like, yeah, what's, what's like blowing you well, away? Let's go with V.S. Ramachandran. So yeah. Do you know what phantom limb syndrome is? Yeah. All right, so yeah, he's the very one that discovered weird. that. Oh, wow. Okay. He's the guy that created the mirror box. So, so he's the one that discovered the crazy. cure, basically. For yeah, it. exactly. So are you guys familiar with... Uh, yeah. Kind yeah. Of- so when you have, you have a mirror in between and uh, you actually like... So you see your hand on the other side and you're arm isn't there yeah so if you if you, you feel you feel like a ghost yeah so sometimes in an accident movement. someone loses a limb um an arm or a leg usually it's more commonly with the hands and arms they'll still feel it so even though the right. hand's not there and it's usually in, in massive pain so although like if i lost my right arm it's not there anymore but i sense this pain in my right arm as if it were there and usually they feel it in this clenched kind of up there uh, up near their body type position and it keeps them up at night they can't sleep they take pain meds Nothing can take it away because it's not there, but their brain is perceiving this pain. And so he was the one that invented the the treatment for it, which when you look at it now, you think to yourself like, well, shit. I mean, but it was brilliant, right? It's a yeah. brilliant, simple mm-hmm. method. And what they do is they put their amputated you know, arm up to this box and there's a mirror on the side of it so that let's say my right arm goes in there. The mirror is facing my left hand, so when I put my left hand on the floor, on the ground, on in, in front of it on the table, it looks like I now have two arms. And then they do various techniques, and I think they, I don't know if they tickle the hand with a feather, and you have to per- look at the mirror and perceive that it's your right hand, and ev- like like miraculously, all of a sudden they perceive this hand oh, extending, and there's no more pain. Yeah, very very fascinating. So he discovered that. Yeah, it's crazy. He he's a really really cool guy, and. The whole concept behind your brain is lying to you, right? So like you said, they feel pain, but there's nothing there. So the, it's, the nerve isn't even present. So the, the reason that the painkillers and stuff don't work is because, uh, what, like, what's it trying to affect? It's a different pathway in the brain. So, and then like getting into the way that the brain like will remap and reuse that area. And that a lot of times people can find like their, their amputated fingers, they'll refine them on their face. Mm-hmm. And so if you have an itch on one of your fingers, you know, oh, right below my left eye, that's where that finger is. And so you can scratch it and it stops the itching in the phantom limb. It is so crazy. Whoa. What does this <laughs> tell you? When I, you got to think about this. What does this oh, tell you about, uh, about your body and about pain? You know, it's funny. After I saw, I saw a YouTube video on, on with him and the box technique, and I had a client who had shoulder pain, chronic shoulder pain, for, I had trained her at this, at this time for about three years, and, you know, I consider myself very well versed on, you know, mobility, and, you know, muscle recruitment patterns, and posture, and how joints work, and we corrected everything, like, she did have poor recruitment patterns, she did have impingement, she did have issues with her shoulder, but we corrected them, but the pain continued to persist, and I, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out why this pain was still there, and she went to acupuncturist, and sometimes that worked a little bit, but then it would come back, and I just couldn't figure it out. And then I watched that video, and I asked her, hey, how much stress and pain, emotional pain, did this shoulder issue cause you when it first happened? Because initially, she had injured herself, and she's like, oh my God, I couldn't work. It affected my relationship with my husband, my kids, and caused all these problems, and I realized there was an emotional connection to this pain. And so I told her about this, this particular phantom limb syndrome technique. And I said, perhaps your, 
perceiving the pain, but it's not physically there. And I had to assure her this didn't mean the pain was fake because you feel it. It is not fake. It's still there. You feel it, but maybe it's something you're perceiving. And the weird thing is the second she got that, the pain went away. And it would come back every once in a while and she'd remind herself of what we talked about and the pain went away and then it was gone. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that tell you about the brain? I mean, that shit blows me. Absolutely blows me away. What are some of the other things you've learned about the brain with some of these? So David Eagleman, the work that he's doing is really astonishing. So have you guys ever heard the word umwelt before? No. All right. So umwelt is just a fancy way of saying all the things that we can perceive, the length of light that we're able to see, the frequency of sound that we're able to hear, um, the sensations that we can um, feel. So like a shark can detect um, magnetic, electromagnetic stimulation in the water. So you can actually put a plate on the bottom of the ocean that's just giving off electricity, but in a pattern of like a flopping fish and it'll go attack the plate. So even though we can see there's no fish there, that like signal that it sends out, the muscle firings is so distinctive that it can't like stop itself from biting this plate because it's just convinced. So the shark has a different umwelt. Dogs obviously have a different umwelt from us. They can smell things that we can't smell. So that's the things that you can perceive or what make up your umwelt. And what he realized is that you can extend your umwelt. So I could get you to see infrared. And what he's doing is, yeah. Wait, so he can do this? What? Yeah. So bear with me. So he'll put a vest on that has like haptic feedback. So it'll push patterns mm. on your chest or your back. Now, first, the patterns seem entirely random. And then you begin to realize like they could blindfold you let's say it were one doing infrared and so you close your eyes or one doing heat signatures you close your eyes and something moves in front of you and you can say oh wow that was sal that just walked by do it again oh that was justin that walked by do it again justin are you are you feeling okay because he knows he's running two or three degrees too hot like once you've been doing it for a couple months it is crazy (laughs) so you could do all this stuff so he's working with deaf people now to get them to actually um, be able to understand language so by the patterns. So what they do is they'll have somebody where he can't see their lips and obviously can't hear them because they're deaf, but will read a word, it creates a pattern, and then they'll write what the word is. It's crazy. So their hope is that you wear the pattern for, you know, two months, three months, four months, that it just becomes fluent and that you're hearing the patterns. And they'll, if I had to guess, they're going to have to chunk it into phrases So it's like, hey, man, good to see you would be like one pattern so that they don't have to like go through every word. I don't know. They'll figure that's me guessing. Um, But I could see something like that coming out of it so that they could really assimilate the information really fast. But that's that's where this gets interesting. And he said one of the his fantasy things is to create a vest that interprets the stock market so that as the stock market goes up or down, that you would actually have a visceral feeling. You'd have a sense of where it's headed. And that's like how big data works. So um, they talk about the subconscious is vaster and faster. Hmm. So if you can get to a subconscious level where you just begin to have a sense you're right, all that information exactly because mm-hmm. it's coming in so much faster. Right, you're able to process so much more data and recognize these patterns that you could begin to get an intuitive, like, oh, it's definitely going to rain tomorrow. You know what I mean? Or it's going to rain in six minutes, whatever. Because whatever all the like data points swirl together to create this one pattern on you, and you'd begin to recognize what that pattern is. So the idea of expanding the umwelt could be really, really interesting. It's Which also is, different wow. parts of the brain that are uh, that you're learning to perceive these things through. So rather than your eyes or your nose or your ears, it's through 
pressure or heat or vibration. Well, this well here's the crazy part. You'll begin to perceive it as sound or vision. So it actually ends up making it to those places in the brain. It is so weird. This is some of the most interesting mm. part of his research is they will... Pre- so take somebody who's been blind and then give them... Um, the similar vest, and they will begin to perceive it as seeing. They will actually refer to it as seeing, and they will say, I see that thing. Mm-hmm. And they did this. This was first started back in like the 60s, I That's think. Someone trippy. had like this big TV camera, and you would sit in like this weird dentist chair, and it would just press patterns into your back, and they could identify faces. Wow. So imagine <laughs> I could tell whose face it was. They're blind. They see nothing. This is just a pattern in the back. And they could go, oh, that's Sally. Oh, that's a coffee mug. Like, that's how good they got at this stuff. But they perceived it as seeing. Wow. Wow. No, so <laughs> I can't help but think, like, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to put myself in your, in your shoes. You're this huge fan of, of stories, narrative. You love the brain. You obviously love psychology. You're, that sounds, it sounds like you can pull from all these things and create some amazing stories. Yeah, but here's the hope that we can crowdsource this stuff because if I become the bottleneck, now we're in trouble. So Mm. the real key to our model is that we're going to crowdsource everything and that the crowd is going to tell us what stories are going to succeed or not. So it goes back to, you got to think of it like, we talked about this in the last show um, from my Big Fat Greek Wedding. The crowd is the head. You don't get to tell them anything, but you get to be the neck. Mm -hmm. So you can't tell people what to think about or sorry, what to think, but you can tell them what to think about. So you point them at something. And that's why building a community is so, so, so important because when you have a community of people who feel that you've delivered more value to them than they delivered to you, and then you make an ask for them to do something, which for me, let's say, hey, I want you to look at this company or I want you to look at this story. Perfect. Hey guys, we um, finally got the rights to The Matrix and now we've had 72 um, script ideas submitted. We need to know which ones you guys think are most on brand for impact theory, right? So it's got to be empowering. It's got to be about the growth mindset, but it's got to be entertaining. So like, is this a great fucking story? Like the stories have to work whether people know what a growth mindset is or not. They Mm -hmm. have to know if they don't know impact theory, it still has to work. Like it's got to be great entertainment first and foremost. Now, are you going to leverage like um, other social media platforms out there? Are you going to create your own through this? Like for instance, say like a Kickstarter, you're mentioning bringing the crowdsourcing in involved in that. Like what does that look like with impact? We'll leverage tools for sure, because that's where people are already habituated to going. Um, But whenever we can, it'll always be the slowest growing and the most important. But we'll do things like a newsletter. We've got an app that's already in alpha testing right now. Um, and I think ultimately this lives in an app where people can really connect, submit, read, review. Because the big thing is you've got to gamify it. They've got to be rewarded mm-hmm. for what they do. So you read a script, cool, you got points, and those points can be translated into something. Um, and even if it's just you're at the top of the leaderboard, which people love, right? Like I'm the number one impact theory, um, we call them impactivists. So I'm the number one impactivist, right? Like that. And if that means something, at least in that community, then you've really got something. So, and I mean, look, Wikipedia has already proven that people do this. They do it for the the accolades to say well, I contributed to something. A lot of people don't know that eight, over, I think it was 82 or 88% of all successful apps are a game. That's Most crazy. all successful mm-hmm. apps are a game. Mm-hmm. I remember when we first, we were, Justin and I, that's how we partnered up way back when we were building an app for, and, and when we originally saw it, it was like this fitness tool. Like we had this grand vision for a tool. And I remember like being, God, we were deep into it before we realized that stat. And I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Why would we even do this? We have to gamify it. Yeah, we, we have completely to completely pivoted and yeah, start structuring it around that because we saw, you know, how powerful that was. And, and, and also, you know, how you could 
just like you're doing, how you'd sort of take these people and take them through this process into, you know, like where you want to get them in the end. There's, there's something like, uh, there's something to it as far as like structuring it. So, you know, they, they get introduced to products, you know, they, they get introduced to good information with fitness and, uh, they're, they're more likely to continue this process like every day because, you know, with apps, it's like, you know, they'll, they'll, adopted at first but like unless you keep engaging them constantly or they're into it like what's the motivation there anymore so well yeah, i want to know i want to know too tom like what it was like for you to pivot from quest where and we've talked before uh, and you shared like you know how great your partners were and how much everybody played a significant role in the success of that and now going over and you, I mean, you're all by yourself when you first started right i mean obviously you have a team now of people but when you first made that move it was all by yourself. How did you go about uh, surrounding yourself with other people that with strengths like that? Well, I was very fortunate in that, A, my wife and I founded the company together. So from the word jump, and she was part of the founding team of Quest. So we'd been working together for a long time. And we started it together and immediately transitioned. So when I transitioned out, talked to my partners, said, hey, I want to take this core team that's helped build inside Quest. And so they came right away. So we were day one, we hit the ground running with seven people. Um, Did that create any amazing. animosity? Was that? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. That was, it was an easy transition. Yeah. Was that because you communicated it beforehand? Everybody kind of knew what was going on. Was yeah. That? They didn't plan to move forward with inside quests. So yeah. it was, you know, I mean, quite frankly, it was, I was taking them off the payroll, wow. which was great. And they didn't have to fire them. And so, <laughs> you know, it really ends up being uh, just nice, smooth, simple transition. Well, excellent. So with, with, with what you're doing now with impact theory, with your uh, your goals and the way you're you're going about them, which is from a media standpoint, is the I call it the new the new way, the new media, right? It's it's not the old way. You're not going through the big networks. You're not going through you know television and that kind of stuff. Uh, are you getting recognized as that, or are they looking at what you're trying to do or what people like you were trying to do and still saying ah? We'll do it our old way and we're not going to change. No, totally. They're going to do it their old way and they're never going to change. And uh, we've taken enough meetings now with studios to understand that we'll, we'll keep doing it because I think there's really great people there. And you never know like where you find great people, like hang around and just see like what comes of it. Um, but I think the, the reality is they're a really classic example of why your old established companies inevitably fall to the young new company. Why? Um, because culturally, you've got people who've been successful for doing something one way, and those ideas really do begin to make them an expert, calcify a dogma, they're rigid ideas, it's always worked this way, we're going to do it. And there's so much internal pressure not to lose your job that it's actually way, way, and just think about it, let's boil it down to the emotion, right? It's way riskier emotionally to come home to your wife and say, I was fired, I bet on this thing, than it is to come home and say the company doesn't exist anymore. Like coming home and saying- It's not the company, my fault. Yeah, right? <laughs> like how could I have been the one to like take that company? <laughs> so no one's going to blame any one person, maybe the CEO, but even then they usually get a pass, right? Oh, it was the board and the CEO and the board couldn't see eye to eye. And, you know, so it's like no one person is going to take the blame for the fall of a company, but you have to take the blame when you get fired. So just like people are more afraid of being the one in the casket than giving the speech, people are more afraid of getting fired than they are the company failing. So that's just recognize the truth of the incentives and what, you know, people are motivated by and what So they're still not them. taking it seriously. That's that's incredible to me. No, not at all. You you've got so many examples to recent examples like the story of uh, you know, Netflix walking into Blockbuster. 
right. and saying, hey, we want you, you know, we want to work with you guys. And Blockbuster laughed them out. And like five years later, Blockbuster's gone. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, so many examples of that. How long do you think it's going to take before, I guess, media completely changes? Oh, we were talking about this earlier. Like my kids don't even watch regular media anymore. It's all YouTube and internet. It's already changed. I mean, it's changed yeah. so fundamentally and so massively impacted their business. And you can just see what's happening. From the time that the DVD died, it really, like, they are scrambling now. And they are in a terrifying, terrifying period where they're making enough money that they still matter to the conglomerates that own them. But they're beginning to get in a more and more desperate situation. So there's, there's a sense of panic in that world, right? Or really, do you, you know sense what I, it from no, them? Oh, for sure. You know how I tripped? I tripped out yeah. when we came here. And we are going down uh, was it Hollywood Boulevard or whatever with and you see the big Hollywood sign. I haven't been I haven't been here in uh, probably a couple of years actually down in Hollywood area and all the billboards now are all Netflix yeah. advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we that isn't like writing yeah. on the fucking wall. I mean, yeah. that is like you, every wake the right fuck in up. The heart <laughs> of it. Yeah, yeah. All of them. They were all. I'd never seen that before because it hasn't made its way to us. Like right. we, we still see the you know a movie that the, the next movie that's coming mm-hmm. out you know in theaters on the billboard or whatever with that. But you see all the advertisement now. All the Netflix shows. Netflix I literally was like jotting shit down. I was driving. Oh, shit. That looks cool. Yeah. Right. Check that out. We're getting you know? all the A-list actors. Yeah, it's getting crazy. And, Netflix. you know, I, I have you had a chance to really get into Netflix? Do you know much about that company? Have you interviewed anybody? No, no. I would I, love to I know. It. I know the world just from the outside. I yeah. don't have you any know what? insider information. I would think going to someone like them for some of your ideas, they would probably fucking be all over it. They yeah they probably would be well yeah but he sees himself sure. as a Netflix or right. bigger than Netflix yeah. that's so, just it you know they're, they're, he's bigger than Disney to me they're yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you came, after, you came after Disney bro. I mean, fuck exactly. Netflix you know <laughs> I love people like that yeah. oh dude say that that's yes. why you, but tell me that's not why you that's why you probably don't even trip on that right is you see yourself doing almost everything they're doing and some yeah I mean at the end of the day they're they're a very powerful distribution partner and I would happily work with them so that is that just comes down to who controls things and this is where young artists get themselves in trouble. And this is where I think we're going to have a huge breakthrough because I'm not predatory by nature. So I want to see an artist succeed. And I just know that if you play it for the long game, you're going to do a lot better. So here's what the studios do. They give the artist a sweetheart deal in the beginning because they're just getting off the ground. They need to. And so they give like a ton of latitude. They attract the highest caliber talent that they can. The studio begin, begins to become the name brand, the thing that carries the weight. And then they begin to nickel and dime the artist. And then the artist looks for somewhere else to go. And that's the life cycle, right? So it just happens over and over and over and over. And I don't know how many times it has to happen before somebody goes, hey, you know what? And Instead, when we get big, we're just not going to start fucking you. <laughs> like, why doesn't somebody eventually just say that? Like, you, they get so myopically focused on one, they probably have a board. And so the board is pressuring the shit out of them. They're just looking at numbers on a spreadsheet and they're saying, hey, this, there's so much room in this profit margin. And you start looking at some of the deals to the artists and you think, God, why are we paying these guys? I remember one time, I was working at a job. I'll leave it nameless. And I was, I was hourly, right? They didn't want to commit to me. But I'm a really hard worker. So every single hour that they offered me, I took. And I was working 80, 90-hour weeks. And so I would open. I would close. If somebody's going to go on vacation, I would take their hours. Like, just inhuman. I didn't have a girlfriend. I had nothing but this job. And so I was all in. And I was dirt cheap for them. But I ended up working so many hours that I was making more than some of the much higher Mm -hmm. um, ranked people in the company. And so they said, you have to stop doing the hours because we can't have you making more money. And I was like, guys, that doesn't make sense. Like, So literally, you would rather give it to somebody less qualified, somebody that you can rely on less because you don't want to piss somebody off. Mm -hmm. Like, 
That's it, it, it. Look, and it is complicated. And as somebody that owned a big company, I get it. It's complicated, but you've got to build this stuff from the ground up to not fall prey to stupid shit like that. So a big part of our thing is I've watched companies try to do what we're doing, do it wrong because they stay predatory and they, they act like we're the big, um, you know, the, the 800 pound gorilla in this, and we're going to take advantage of that. And we're going to ring that for everything that it's worth. And then you just don't have to be like that. Man. You know, your, your passion for what you're doing is so damn similar to what we are doing. Only we're heavily focused just in the fitness kind of world. Sure. Like if you pay attention to our YouTube, you'll start to see we're now producing other people. And they are these incredible minds that just don't know how to do that right for themselves. And we're not expecting anything from them. We're just helping them. We want and, the content, basically. Yeah, yeah we want to. We want to be able to bring them on and we'll introduce like, them to people that because there's so much shit out there. There's yeah. so much bad information. So much stuff, and people just and people don't know that they don't know. But you know, and the reality yeah. is now, I think if you were trying to own, people have easy access to people now. So in the past, if you were a celebrity or whatever, people didn't have access to you, to you, right? They had access through you know media through magazines. You. But now with social media, Instagram, like. Kevin Hart, the comedian, he's mastered his, his ability to connect with people. And so trying to own, if a studio tries to own people like they did before, I don't even think it's possible. I don't think you're going to succeed anyway anymore. It's just not going to work. I think people are going to own themselves. And here, here's the good and the, and the bad thing about what you're doing. The good thing and the bad thing is it's, kind of, it's a new way of doing things. So you have all this creative flexibility and ability to do it. But the bad thing is you got to kind of invent some of it. Yeah. You got to kind of come up with like what it looks like. So, yeah, and I'm literally trying to patchwork it together from everything that I've seen work. So, you've got the Spotify model, you've got the Netflix model, mm-hmm. you've got iTunes. I think a lot of this stuff has been solved to try to find ways to make sure that the artists are getting paid. And as any touring band knows, the real money is in merchandising. As Disney has completely proven, the real money is in merchandising. That the narrative, the all of that stuff is really meant to drive awareness of the ideology, that thing that makes you love it, that makes you like want to echo it and signal to the world that you identify with that. And then you need to be prepared to make those things for them. So what I'm finding now is as I go to the studios and I talk to producers and I explain to them my business model, they literally they get this like they look to make no sure way. nobody's looking around and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this would be a game changer. Why? Because the studios are conglomerates, okay? Mm-hmm. Conglomerates answer to a lot of people. Those lot of people all have MBAs, their finance degrees, and they look at things from a spreadsheet perspective. There's no creativity in it. And mm-hmm. what they do is they wait for something to prove itself out. They buy it, they optimize it until it dies and they discard it, right? So think of them as like a succubus that is literally, <laughs> yeah. truly- Turn and burn. Like drinking the, the blood, the vitality, everything- out of it, knowing that I'll, you know, two, three, maybe five fold my money. That's great. Yeah. Like, and, and let it go. Low, and, low and risk, high, high return. Exactly. Instead of saying like, Hey, this is going to be something that we're going to take advantage of for a very, very, very long time. And that's been the Disney play, right? Mickey Mouse is viable today. He was viable back in the 1930s. They've done a really good job of making their own brand sort of be this protective umbrella of all this other stuff that has life beyond it and all these other places. They're very careful with their properties. They don't let them get oversaturated. So it's like they've got this whole strat, the total branding strategy or total merchandising. They've got this whole huge strategy for it. It's not churn and burn. But they do take that strategy with their artists. And so their thing is like, 
hey, those people are sort of behind the scenes. And Disney, if they hadn't, and look, I don't know enough about Bob Iger's Disney to know like if I'm on the mark, but here's my gut instinct. That Bob Iger comes on the scene and realizes we're in trouble. And we've not been able to compete with Pixar. And Pixar mm-hmm. is the new Disney. And they're handing us our ass because their animation is better. Mm-hmm. Their mm-hmm. storytelling the story. is better. Yes. And when you go back and look at what made Walt Disney as a human being so effective, at times of trouble, when he was getting his ass handed to his story is incredible. Um, he's been through bankruptcy, uh, been evicted from multiple houses, apartments, um, had multiple cars repossessed. And every time his response was, we need to make the animation better right? He doesn't waste time whining, crying, nothing. He's just like, we're not undeniable yet. And so he's going back to the animation. How do we make it better? The first to really incorporate sound, the first to do color and to get into color was like this huge financial risk. And no, the industry didn't even believe in color, let alone the animation industry. So, I mean, it's just like pushing and making deals and borrowing money and just because he wanted the animation to be phenomenal. And whenever an entrepreneur returns to their product, and making it so great that it can't be denied, that's when you know that they're going to make it to the other side of this. So when I see studios and stuff burning out the people who are responsible for making the art truly phenomenal, I know they're in danger. So Disney's strategy is go out and buy it. Culturally, we're not able to do it internally anymore. So we've gone out, we just start buying everything. We buy Pixar, we buy Marvel Studios, we buy Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Now, they're at least not the traditional succubus-style company, so I'm hopeful they'll be protective of at least the IP. But my pitch is... They're only able to buy things that already exist, okay? That where's the next thing on the horizon? Mm-hmm. There isn't anything. So I'm saying, hey, I would do that if I could, honestly. So that's why I don't like take too many swings at what they're doing. It's brilliant. And if I had the capital to do it, I'd do it too. But somebody is going to come down here and say, we're going to incubate the next generation, but I'm going to protect the artists. I'm going to make sure that the artists have ownership. I'm going to make sure that they're incentivized to go push it, right? Because I want them selling merch, baby. <laughs> I want them out there like pumping the right. merch and because it's driving back to us. I want to make sure that for the first time ever, an artist that goes out and hustles can make a shit ton of money off of their creation. Hmm. And the thing is, and this is what happens all the time, Princess Leia forever, Carrie Fisher, uh, was just pissed. Like super bitter because the movie, you know, making billions of dollars, mm-hmm. selling dolls that look like her and all that. And she got paid her fee to act and that was that. that was it. But like you could have had her be like the biggest evangelist of all time. It doesn't take a lot, right? right. It doesn't take a lot to make her feel like, wow, guys, that's amazing. I want to be out here. I want to push promote. I know that whatever percent, I mean, it can be 0.0001%. But when that number gets big enough, it's like, wow, I want to be out here. I want to speak good. I want to keep it going in the public consciousness. And my thing is this couldn't have happened before. So I get why nobody did it before. But when you see what's happening now and you realize that you have a direct conduit to your audience, that Mm -hmm. you know them by name and they know Mm -hmm. you and that they will stop you when they see you and shake your hand and thank you for the impact and tell you about what you did to their lives and that they've lost fat, added muscle. And it's because of you guys, right? That that is a whole new world, and it can happen on a global scale. You guys were talking last time. Was it Nigeria? It was like somewhere crazy yeah. that you had like some testimonial from. Right? <laughs> it's unbelievable. So it crazy. that's the world that we live in. No matter how smart the people are that work for your company, the smartest people on the planet don't work for you. Embrace that. So now, how do you tap into those people? How do you get them excited about your brand? So literally. Literally, less than forty-eight hours ago, I looked into a camera and I said, "We're now accepting designs." Less than 48 hours later, for free, I have designs that I can now sell. That's 
That's crazy. It's very I did cool. Nothing. Yeah. Like I want. Are you people it's listening? Belief, like, man. The yeah, world has changed. Man. Yeah. But, okay. So uh, there's so many people, and I love uh, I love talking business with you. I love to get into this shit um, because when people ask me like what we're doing, I have such a hard time explaining it to the average person. And I use you as an example. I said, you know, because you're, you're one of the few that I feel that you can really beautifully articulated. Well, yeah, yeah, and you really grasp uh, where it's at now and where it's going, right? Mm-hmm. And you see that, and it's obvious to me when you see that. Now, what is what do you see? Because now I feel like there's a lot of people that are like kind of getting it, and they're like, okay, and they're trying to figure it out, right? Or they're trying to emulate what they see. When you assess a business like ourselves, where we're at or where you're at, what do you see the most common mistakes are in and keeping them from continuing to grow? What, what are the things that stand out to you when you see these people that are trying to, you know, imitate, even though you're doing something that nobody else really is, but there's other people in other types of businesses that recognize the importance of social media and the direction that it's going and what you need to do with it. Um, but they just don't really understand how to do that. What's the biggest ones you see? I, I honestly, the biggest mistake I see is people ask for money too soon, mm-hmm. right? And so just not giving enough away for free. And I'm not saying that about you guys. I, sure. I have to really look at the model, but you really like you want people to be sitting there going, "Does he know I'm getting this yeah. for free?" Does, does right? Where they're like yeah. straight uneasy because they're everybody else is charging for content of this caliber, or they hedge their bets, and it's like that's what you get for free. Now join us on the paywall. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, well, let me speak to that. Let me speak to that with us and our brand. Yeah. Like this was something that we actually talked about that nobody was doing, and we got that, and. People thought we were crazy when we were all still working other jobs, but yet we were coming back and we we're doing these podcasts and and writing blogs and giving all and like literally for it was two hundred and something episodes. We just did telling everybody yeah, every yeah. experience we've ever had as a personal we trainer. gave and never here. once asked for anything. And I t- I give this as a lesson to other entrepreneurs that I talk about. And I said, so when we turn the switch on. So many people bought from us because they felt compelled to give us because how much we gave for the past year and a half of being with us. We didn't even have to ask for it. They had been at, we'd actually had people reaching out to us and emailing us saying, you guys should start some sort of a GoFundMe so we can help you. And we're like, no, 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 you know, let us. And we continued to do that. And when you truly do that, I think that that message is conveyed. And I think when it's, the time is right and you can, it isn't that hard. But a lot of people don't see that. They don't yeah. get that. So step one, uh, build an audience. Step one, build an audience and really ask, what are they already paying for? And how do I deliver that in a super meaningful, like obviously connected way? So the reason that I ended up in merchandising, I didn't start there and think, oh, what we're going to do is sell merchandising. I started just thinking about how do you actually end generational poverty, right? That mindset. Mm -hmm. And the answer led me to narrative. And then I thought, okay, well, how do the most powerful um, film, book, uh, comic book studios, how do they make money? Where's the money really? And the money's in merchandising. So it's like, okay, well, then I guess we become a merchandising company out of necessity because the the world believes information should be free. Now, as somebody who grew up in a world where information was like something you paid a lot of money for, like I was like, wait, what? Like I was, when I first heard that, I was straight offended. I was like, you cheap bastard. (laughs) And then I was like, that's the world though. Mm-hmm. Like if people believe it should be free, then it doesn't matter what I think. They're mm-hmm. not going to pay for it. So that's now, the perceived value. Right. Excellent, excellent point right there. So it's like, now I know I've got to give my information away for free and I want to be more aggressive about it. So let me paint you the vision of we're going to be doing live events. So live events, I think is something everybody understands that you're going to have to pay for that, right? Mm-hmm. But there is at those events an expectation that certain things will be free. So our pitch is, 
I know that if you go to a movie theater, you know where they make their money for real, right? Yeah. Popcorn. Yeah. yeah hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Movie. $15 popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's on the concessions. But they're doing something that makes people embittered and they don't want to pay for that. And it's not a beautiful transaction, right? You are not making people happy with that. But it's where they generate a ton of income. So they think, okay, you've come here. We've created this big opulent experience. And the sort of ransom is that you're going to buy your whatever <laughs> Diet Coke. Um, my thing is, okay, invite you to a live event. It's going to be amazing. It's going to totally fucking blow you away. You're going to have to pay to come in. Whatever you expect to be free is going to be free and then some. So let's say we do 1.25 uh, you know, X, whatever you would expect to get for free. And then we're going to have premium stuff that you can pay for. And But it's totally optional, right? It's the mm-hmm. freemium model. So you're going to get more than you would get free somewhere else, but then I also have something here backing it up, but I know that I'm going to cover my nut on the door. And then I would try to get even more of the merchandising in, whether it's T-shirts, it's people's books, whatever. And you literally exit through the gift shop, right? Like you mm-hmm. merchandise the life out of these events. You don't have to buy anything, but if you want to buy it, it's there. It's a way to show your appreciation, to show your allegiance to, whatever. Um, that's sort of how we're thinking through it now because those are the things I know people are already trained to do. They already do that. They want a commemorative whatever. They want something that echoes that ideology. And so I'm just trying to put people in a position where I exceed their expectations of quality and the freebie stuff, and then I put everything else in danger of happening, right? So um, like all the stuff that they wrap around a checkout stand so that when you're there, oh yeah, I'll take a stick of gum. Oh yeah, I'll take some Tic Tacs, whatever that you've created that opportunity where they feel good about it, you feel good about it, you're generating revenue. Um, but to me, it's it right now, the world of physical goods is where I want to be. Now, ultimately, as the blockchain comes on and, and digital goods can become truly unique one-offs, then maybe it's more interesting to sell something that's digital. And I think maybe people get behind that a bit because you can create scarcity. But right now, selling digital stuff, just I don't think there's a great big market for it. I think people are weird about it. Um, so I'd rather bring it into the physical, tangible world. So like make and produce a story and narrative. Uh, don't sell it. Give it out, which now we have the means to do that for free where everybody can access it. But then the merchandise that goes along with yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we'll still in in the system that exists now, we would still sell something. I mean, you sell it to maybe Netflix, but you get a piece for everybody that watches it. You get some amount of mm-hmm. pay for that. Um, same at a traditional movie. I mean, there's no reason to forego that. That revenue model is still working. It's just declining. Mm-hmm. So um, don't overly invest in that. But there, I, I don't think you get any value for turning that down unless you're going to be like your own Netflix. But then to build the back catalog big enough, just that's not the game I'm trying to play. Not now. I mean, maybe in the 15-year plan. Um, but right now, it's really about making that amazing content to actually impact generational poverty as a mindset um, and then giving people a way to show um, their allegiance to that with lifestyle stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all becomes very physical, becomes something that um, I know people already do. So so then you are actively looking for also individual artists. Yeah, we're looking. We want people to submit um, stories, comic books, movie ideas, TV shows, all of it. Um, our thing is we want to be involved where we can build a community. So I usually use comic books as the example because it's really, I think it's a powerful medium, but it's, it's super also... Super community-driven. Super community-driven. Very well said. You build a community around it. They get excited. It's episodic. You can get like a whole lot of vibe going. 
The studios are already used to acquiring that material. We would be in a position where we'd have enough of a fan base that we don't have to sell the rights so that they take everything, that we'd be able to retain some of the rights. In the beginning, we'd probably maintain a minority of the rights. I'm, you know, I'm very okay with that as we build our power. But let's say we retained you know, 30% of the rights to merchandising. We retain 30% of the box office, you know, whatever the, you make something work, but you're in a position where you have pull through demand. So because we're able to crowdsource this, I don't have a huge overhead where I have to sell the movie. Mm. So we can wait for that right opportunity where it's like, hey, things are working really well here on the comic. We're building the audience. I'm not distributing through anybody else. This is a digital world. We do our own thing. We only get behind things that have virality. So it's like, by the time we go to a studio, it's like the E.L. James scenario where there's 5 million people reading this comic on a daily basis. Our engagement rate is off the charts. I've already sold $4.3 million in merchandising. Like there's there's no mystery here. This mm-hmm. is the biggest no-brainer ever. And so now you're in a strong position to say, I'm, I'm going to sell you the rights for five years. I'm going to retain 30% of the merchandising rights. Or for the first um, film, you get 90% of the merchandising rights. For the second film, I get 40%. You get 50%. Like There's all kinds of things that you can work in because you've got some strength because you're not just a kid with a script. And that's where this mm-hmm. model will either live or die, is our ability to really get a community excited about that property and spending money right now today. Well, let's talk about that community and talk real numbers like what does that look like? Can you tell like the audience that's listening, like how long or how much of a, a loyal audience you need to have before you can turn the dollars? Like when, how many people, like can you assess a business and go like, oh, they have, you know, 3000 like loyal fans. They should be making right. X amount of dollars. Can you compute that? I mean, not really, not super effectively. I would say it all depends on what that thing is that you're selling. So if those 3,000 people are all net worth of 50 million or more, then you can sell a whole lot of shit, <laughs> right? So it comes down to who your 3,000 are. So from my perspective, because I'm going after the masses, I'm going after people that watch movies, read books, comic books, I think the number is 3 million. So if I have an audience of 3 million, so right now we have an audience of just under 100,000. We're already seeing what we'll call the Oprah effect, right? Where we can sell out a book on Amazon just by releasing a podcast. Um, so we know it's happening. We know that we're going to have impact. But when I think about the size um, that you have to get to where a studio is going to then take that property and be willing, remember, mm-hmm. they're going to spend a lot of money on it. And I'm going to ask them to let me retain a certain percentage of the rights. Um, I'm going to need a big audience to pull that off. Wow, so that's three million. Be- now, how much? How big of an audience would someone need to get your attention? Yeah, I was going to say. So I, ha- I have a a one hundred percent yes rate. So my thing is, if you ask me to come on your podcast, I will come. Mm. The only question is when. So sure. when is determined by how big your audience is. Mm. Um, if you've got a big audience, then I'll stay up late. I'll skip the gym. I'll do whatever I have to to be on your podcast. I can turn sure. that around in like 72 hours. If you've got 5,000 followers, then it might not be till June where I'm looking at a day where, hey, I've got nothing planned and yeah. you know it's easy breezy. That's fair. Right? I think that's pretty reasonable. And why do I say yes to everybody for two reasons? One, there was a time when I was doing my very first podcast and I needed somebody to say yes to me and I was eternally grateful. And I'm a big believer in just paying stuff forward. So it's like somebody did that for me. I thought they were very kind for doing it. I'm willing to do that for somebody and for a lot of people. Um, two, you can't, unless you actually go in and try to edit and splice my words together, you can ask me any question you want, but I control what I say. 
So I have no fear of like being trapped or set up or whatever, like with an interview where that can get a little dicey. Um, yeah. So, you know, podcasts. Have you had experiences really, like that? Yeah, we were just talking about that. Uh, it is very easy to make me sound crazy. I've learned that lesson. So, I think yeah. you're just really smart and really smart people sound some can sound crazy to, to uh, not I'll so smart people. I'll take that compliment. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then uh, it's good practice. You know, it's like, I need to be out there. Right. I need to, and also I'm a, like, it doesn't hurt my feelings to get one person. Like if that one person's diehard, like I want to meet every single one of those. And as long as they live on the internet where anybody, like at any time, right, that guy could have four followers, but then I say something that resonates. We release the clip on Facebook and boom, it goes viral. It gets big. And I never would have had that answer if they hadn't asked me that question. So as long as I'm in control of my performance, if you will, I'm all for it. We, oh, go ahead. I want to. I want to. I want to scale it all the way down for a person who is one person who's going to build something that uh, they maybe they don't see it or even want it at the scale that you're building. They're coming after Disney, right? But they they respect the direction that social media is going and that they're 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 not really or they haven't figured it out yet. They haven't figured out how to utilize it as a, a business tool. Um, how would you help them build this? Forget what it is. I don't even think it matters what it is, right? It's a we'll we'll call it uh, anything. We'll call it a product, a widget, yeah, not yeah, t-shirts, right. whatever. Because you know that tends to be the the thing right now. I see. I see a lot of people starting clothing lines. They right. think that you know they get you know, ten thousand people looking at them because they do half naked pictures. And, and, and let's let's take that because I think that t-shirts uh, is a really important one. And it's people keep going back to it because it's relatively easy. There's a ton of infrastructure because it's work for so many people that there's just. The world has adapted to making sure that T-shirts can be made relatively high quality, very, very fast, for very cheap. Mm -hmm. So it's a great entry point for people. And people know, like, I have my favorite T-shirt. I love it. And so they want that thing. So if somebody came to me and said, I want to build a T-shirt brand, I'd be stoked. I wouldn't say, oh, the world's too crowded. Don't do it. My answer is going to be this. What the fuck are you putting on your T-shirt? Because think of it like a tattoo. When we designed our logo, I said it has to be tattooable. Now, there's two things that make something tattooable. The design has it's to funny, be cool. We just had somebody tattoo their shit on their. <laughs> yeah, right. We just we had, had our first tattoo. Mike. Somebody it's fucking a amazing, fan, fan right? Tattooed it. You're like, whoa, dude! Someone just tattooed now, our shit. Now, uh, really stop and think about that That's for a crazy. second. Yeah. That you've built a brand that resonates with that person so emotionally. Because remember that it's not about you. Yeah. It is about them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This show has done something for them that means so much awesome. that it's become a part of their identity and they want it with them forever. That is what a fucking brand should be. Yeah. That is what a brand should be. And somehow, someway, so many fucking companies do not recognize that. They cheap out on it. They bastardize it. They think of their customer as a fucking number. We're about to go through an age where everybody is going to have a tattoo of some company that they really fucking believe in because of transparency, authenticity, connection. You find these people, you you're meet right. them, you get to you're know right. them. You're like, fuck, this motherfucker has changed my, my life. life. Yeah, fuck yeah, I'm tattooing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like when something- It won't really even be mocked. Upon. The way we, the way people kind of chuckle at that now, right? Probably 10, 15 years ago, people that put a Nike swoosh or did something like that, you kind of chuckle and laugh at But that won't be that way in 20 years. Think about Harley Davidson, the oh, ultimate yeah. badge brand. Of course. Dude, you say something to the world when you tattoo Harley Davidson. Now, what I like is that gives the company a responsibility. Because if you know motherfuckers walking around out there with your tattoo, you owe them something. Mm -hmm. You owe them something. Yes. Now, to me, if as a company you can accept, I owe them something. And you can think about that as you're working on your product. 
Like that was a big thing for us at Quest, man. We really thought about like people are having these transformations and they're thanking us and all this. We owe them the highest quality product ever. You know, you, you saying Harley Davidson is crazy because it, I, we just were, my girl and I were just watching uh, The Ultimate Fighter and I was telling her like, fucking Harley Davidson, man, been around for a long time. Smart, smart company for getting, and I don't even know the behind the scenes on exactly how that partnership works with the fact that they would attach themselves to a company like UFC, which you know, could be sketchy for them to possibly do. They're already established. They don't need to do that. I think that was such a brilliant move. So I don't know if you knew that or not. Do you know that they they're, they partnered up with mm. the UFC and they give away like a Harley on all these? Very smart. Uh, yeah, no, very, very smart how they do it. They very give smart. away a Harley every season to this Ultimate Fighter show, which is going crazy right. and viral. Yeah, no, it's... So with to the T-shirt, back with the T-shirts, you've got someone wants to make T-shirts. What's step one with this a new economy? great fucking product. A great product. Not the t-shirt. The t-shirt's not the product. So the t-shirt is the echo of whatever your product is. So Mm -hmm. the easiest example, if you're going to try to turn something into that, is what is that? Like, let's just say that it's a show, right? What is your show meant to do? How is it actually going to help people? So I'll be super selfish for a second, and I'll say that the very first thing the Impact Theory ever sold was a t-shirt, a branded t-shirt of all things. And for a long time, we didn't have them up, didn't have them up building the brand. And the way that we're building the brand is by making content that we really want to change people's lives, by going out of our way to make the highest quality content, make it free. And by high quality, we mean if you take the advice in the show, it will change your life. It will change your life for the better. That I'm responding to everyone on social media that um, we do. Uh, you can win calls with me. So you can literally get one-on-one mentoring with somebody who built a billion dollar brand. Like, And I sit there and I really think about your business and how I can help you. I'm trying to give away all your ideas or all my ideas so, to help you grow. Um, literally just trying to give everything away that I can. And people writing in, you changed my life. College professors saying, I use your interviews to teach my class. People using the motivational stuff to get to the gym. People that have been abused using, uh, we just had a a guest that's like um, a hero in that world because of what he's been through and like how he has touched their life and helped them. I mean, it's just like thing after thing after thing where people feel like you're making me a better version of myself. And then we go, hey guys, today, the shirt with our brand on it is available. If we've added value to your life, go get one. Mm-hmm. Just to thank us, mm-hmm. they would buy it. Like people want to give us money. It's not about the t-shirt, right? And the problem is people making t-shirts think it's about the t-shirt. It's not about the t-shirt. Yep. So you Focus have to find on out, all the wrong things. Yeah. You have to find out what is it really about? It's about that signal that says, I'm on the inside of something. I know something that you don't. That if two people wearing an Impact Theory t-shirt bump into each other, I promise they'll be like, oh, <laughs> right? Like, and they'll start throwing out quotes and stuff from the show. And it's, it's like, like the shirt you're wearing right now. Exactly. Where you and I were like, hey. Exactly. Exactly. So you create a great product. And how do they get that audience? How do they get that audience? How do they do that? How do they put that? You know what you're talking about out there. What's, what's some of the first steps? Some some of the first tangible. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to us, fitness entrepreneurs. All right. So we do we want to go through how to build a social brand like as fast as you yeah, can? Yeah. All what's right. That? Here we go. Okay. Ready? Yeah. All right. So number one, get your social accounts. Make sure you're up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Snapchat. Those are going to be the five that we'll attack for right now. And you're going to put out content that is different on each and every one of them. So this value add, no matter where you're going, Mm -hmm. um, you want to be making sure that the content in whatever form it is, is doing its best to deliver value as fast as humanly possible. So don't waste people's time. It's very rare that I just show super random shit. Like um, (laughs) all the time, there's things that like really catch my interest and ah, but that my 
that's not empowering somebody. That's not helping somebody. And there is a certain, um, is it endearing? Sometimes I'll do it just because it's endearing and it makes you feel like you know me better. So I will do those. Uh, but you're looking for authenticity, transparency, connection, and support. So how do you support? You've got all your accounts. You're putting out the content that makes sense for your universe. So for you guys, obviously, health and fitness stuff, mm-hmm. tips, tricks, all that stuff. I'm assuming you're featuring transformations. You're showing people that. Then you want to be doing stuff that's community focused. So you want to show them, hey, community, you've done this. So maybe you feature one of the guys um, around the world. And hopefully he was connected with somebody that's also in the Mind Pump universe that helped him a little bit. So you can really celebrate like these two did this for each other to show that the community is important, that it's doing something. So that my sense of identity in the community isn't just about my relationship with you. It's about Harley Davidson, right? Mm-hmm. It's Harley Davidson means something. This is what the community means, what they're doing for each other. And we're going to highlight some of that. Um, and then you're going to, um, on top of your high caliber, um, content, you need consistency. So you're going to have to be hella consistent putting it out and then you need to engage with them. So you're going to go in and you're going to be commenting, commenting, commenting. I spend Mm -hmm. an inordinate amount of my time commenting. Um, so on the way home now from this, all I'll do the entire drive is comment. Never drive yourself anywhere ever again. And just make sure that you're always (laughs) in the back of an Uber. And whenever you're traveling, it's comment time. And when you can, if you can comment in real time, and this is something that I suck at, but I'm trying to get better at that when, because I don't post, everything is written by me, but I don't post it, right? Uh, So I just can't fucking deal. I don't have time to deal with the logistics of that, right? So somebody else Just physically impossible. Yeah, they get all my copy and then they go and they post it. Now, if I know the minute that they're posting it, I'll get on and I'll start answering back in real time, which is obviously a lot more effective. Then find influencers that are in your world that are doing something that's relevant, other fitness influencers, whatever. Go and do all the things for them that you wish they would do for you. Mm. Uh, Share their content. Comment meaningfully. Don't just be like, cool, no wink. Don't just put the fire icon. Like go in and say, (laughs) man, this episode was really bitching because of this. Like this really cool. I do this one a lot. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Rock on. And look, that's better than nothing. Yeah, but you got to pause right there. You got to pause right there because there's that's a hard one. I recognize that though. That's a very hard one for people to do. And I feel like a lot of people get stuck right there in business. A lot of people get so self-serving and they get so focused on themselves if they just were if they were to actively go out genuinely try and help another company or help somebody else without even expecting anything in return it's amazing what ends up happening you yeah. know? but you have to be able to do that not a lot of people can do and, that and and let's really talk about the one be be disciplined so let's say that um you guys are already big so i'm going to use you as the big fish okay. so somebody comes up to you guys and they've just been crushing, 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 delivering so much value to you. Like they're in, they share all the comments. They're like out there pushing, promoting. They buy the t-shirts, they wear them. They go to Machu Picchu. They take a picture of themselves at the top of Machu Picchu with your shirt on saying, I never would have made it this far if it wasn't for these guys. They fucking changed my life. And you guys now know them by name. Like they're hella legit, right? And you're just like, oh damn, like that's Ibrahim. Like we know that guy. What the fuck are you doing at Machu Picchu? Right? And he's like hyping you guys up at every fucking turn. And on his wedding cake, when he gets married, like the the three of you guys are like cake decorations <laughs> in the background. And he's like, I got my wife oh my to God, do this. The and you guys keep, are like, keep going God with this story. Damn, keep going. Right? You're doing right, good right, with this right, one. Right. Keep going. No. And then, then you meet him. You meet him face to face. And at that moment, you guys will feel a crushing obligation to ask him one question. And that question is, what can we do for you? Mm-hmm. Now, if Ibrahim is smart, he says nothing. Guys, just keep putting out high value content. I so believe in what you're doing. 
I just want to keep pushing it and promoting it. Now you'll eat out of his hand. And he walks away and he doesn't turn back. Three months later, he actually needs something real, something big. And where you guys, it's good for you. It's good for him. Now he comes and says, hey, guys, I actually do have something now that I think makes a lot of sense for you. Here's why I think it'd be really fucking great for you. And when you guys look at it and go, whoa, this actually is really good for us. Dude, Ibrahim, we'd love to partner with you on this. This is amazing. Thank you for thinking of us. Now there's a real partnership. But he didn't play the card just because he bumped into you. And that's what everybody does. Mm. Oh, I have your attention right now. I'm going to play my fun card. Yeah. Because like, I don't know right. when it's going to come back. Now, do you guys uh, know magic at all? And I mean magic, like magic, sleight of hand, card magic. Do I know any uh, magic? Yeah. Uh, do you, interested. I know know much right about here. it. Well, I love, <laughs> I, I, I've that's seen good. all of David Blaine stuff. All, I mean, I'm in all right. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, here, here is the truth of magic. So I am utterly fascinated by magic. I've taken classes at the Magic Castle. Like I really, really dig magic. Oh, wow. Now, the reason I dig magic, there's two types of people. People that when they learn how the trick is done, they're less enamored. People that when they learn how the trick is done, they're more enamored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I fall into the latter camp. Right. Now, there is a, a trick where there's a thing called a force, where I can force you with a high degree of accuracy to pick a certain card, right? So do things, hey, pick a card, any card, you pick it. I, You don't show it to me, but I actually know what it is. Put it back into the deck, shuffle it up. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's gone. It's not there, right? And then I say, you see those four basketballs over there? I want you to go cut, not that one, the second one next to it. I want you to cut it open. You cut it open. Inside is your card. Is that your card? Yes. You're flipping the fuck out, right? Yeah. Because you would rather believe that that's magic than that I went to a basketball manufacturer and said, hey, I need you to make a basketball with this card inside. And that, that to me, is what being an entrepreneur is. When you do so much pre-planning, hard work, you're thinking so long-term, so strategic, that people would rather believe that you're just inhumanly gifted. He's smarter than me. He's more talented than me. Than believing that you just (laughs) think that far ahead, that you work that hard, that you went... How the fuck could Great I make analogy. it seem like yeah, a, a card is in a basketball? Oh, I'm not going to pretend. I'm actually going to go put a fucking card in a basketball. And the first six basketball manufacturers that say no, everybody else stopped. But you went to the seventh. And then you finally got them. There's people that have done this, like really famous stories, where they'll go, they'll do this, they'll make the card vanish. And then they'll go, actually, I think it's, it's in the inside pocket. Check, check the inside pocket of your jacket. You reach in. There's nothing in the inside pocket of my jacket. You, sh- you sure? No, no, no. I'm sure it's there. Take your jacket off. And it's in the lining of the fucking jacket. They've actually had the card sewn inside the lining yes. of the person's jacket. Okay? Because some incredible prep. <laughs> follow yeah. who yeah. where's their tailor, right? Where do they get their suits? It only works when it's like you know that person, you know they get yeah. their suits made, you know where they get them made. So you go, you convince the tailor, hey, the next time he comes in, I want you to put this card. And then you bet and one, if you're really clever, you really want to like now I'm really fucking throwing dirt at the magic industry. You'd store <laughs> four different cards in different places and memorize where they are so that you've got outs. Wow. So that wow. if you miss on the first one, you know where the second one or the third or the fourth one is, depending on what card. Okay, how did Dave and Blade put it in a cantaloupe? That <laughs> I have me, no fucking idea. Oh, I have no idea. And here's still the thing. He grew like, the cantaloupe. With yeah, the yeah, he's like, yeah. And here's the it. thing. That might not be as crazy as you think. That might not be oh as crazy God. as you think. Wow. So I that might like there might be enough acidity in there that it would eat the card away. I don't know. But it's like, <laughs> don't. Like, don't put it past. Don't discount it. Don't put it past. That's awesome. You must really get excited then when you see like really brilliant business minds. Then when you see someone who's like, wow, they're way ahead of like everybody else with what they're doing. Yeah, the the guy right now that just I get the chills every time is Elon Musk. 
Yeah. Elon Musk. He, yeah. He, he's on another planet, man. Yeah. Like what he's so first of all, he's got the just the balls to dream big, right? The moment like terraforming has now become my thing. Like if you're not mm-hmm. thinking about what planet you're gonna terraform, you're just not thinking big enough, right? <laughs> and that's just a good way to think about it. So the yeah. other day I was really having this thought. So I this normally does not happen to me, but we're remodeling our house and I'm really thinking about how fucking big and beautiful it is and how much money I have to remodel and it's crazy. And like I can't believe I'm actually here and I've succeeded the way that I wanted to succeed. And and just like this little voice was like you've had your success and that you've had your success and i thought whoa 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 motherfucker (laughs) that's how success ruins you because you let off the gas pedal you're not hungry you're not desperate right Mm -hmm. it's easy to have that first bit of success because a certain type of person i'll put you guys in that camp a certain type of person it's like the need for oxygen. Mm -hmm. You're not going to stop. You just fucking need to prove it to yourself, to somebody else. It's like the way that you get a physique, right? Do you know how bad you have to want a physique? Even if you fucking take drugs. I think people think you inject steroids and whoop, like you're big. You still have to fucking work out, right? There's like, you have to kill yourself to get a physique. There's just no two ways about it. So somebody, they want it so badly, they either had dirt kicked in their face by the bully, they couldn't get the girls, whatever. Like they have some crushing need to become that person. So they put themselves through that. And it's it's amazing. The same is true of success. When you find somebody that, that they're that on fire to become that thing, to do that, to get good enough to perform at that level, that they just, they're willing to accept all the failure, rejection, embarrassment, all that, and keep going long enough to get to the other side of it. Mm-hmm. But then when they've got it, that's the thing that erodes them. Mm-hmm. That's when they let off the gas pedal and they're not hungry like that anymore. And me, it's all about understanding what makes you feel alive right now today, right? Dreaming about the future is awesome, but what makes you feel alive right now today? Because my sort of vision board thing growing up was always a big house. So it was really fascinating for me to see when I got the big house. I took like a red hot minute to be like, oh my God, like we're here, (laughs) we did it. And then right away, I was back on the grind. Because for me, the in the moment, like feeling that makes me feel alive is the journey. Yeah, the journey, man. 100%. Yeah. It takes a long time though to get that at perspective, I feel like. I feel like you kinda you kinda have to get the big house if that was the thing, right? And then you have to be able to detach yourself and right. look There's at steps it. Steps to that. Yeah, yeah. Look at it like, wow, you know what? And learn to appreciate, which probably makes the process you're going through right now even more unbelievably exciting and fun and enjoyable because you're probably more mindful and present than you've ever been because you have this perspective. To, to actually enjoy this process, to enjoy the moment we're actually in right now. Yeah. Because that's all part of it, right? Yeah. And I, I, I actually had this moment. I should share this with you because I've shared it with so many people now, and it's such kudos to you. We were your last interview, um, and we had just came off. We had uh, Paul Check before that. We had Lane Norton before that. We had uh, Stephen Kotler, I think. And and we just had this – we had a crazy lineup. Rob just, Wolf, yeah. Rob Wolf, yeah. We, just great minds, man, in all different arenas, too. And you were talking, you're going, and I, I felt myself uh, so into your your story, and I've been so fo- we've been so focused on the business earlier in that morning. I'd been frustrated where we're at. We could be doing more of this, and we need to be doing this, and ah, that's, and I would, and I remember feeling that, and then I remember being in that moment, almost being detached from myself, and realized like, fucking hey, dude, this is this is why I do it though. Like this part right here, and to get all that information, and to, to have met these great brilliant minds and get to ask the questions that I want to ask and talk like fucking a man this is what it's really about no. the end the end result that's just that'll always keep changing and I'll keep wanting more and this and that and learning to be mindful and present like that and you know you're the way you tell the story the way you explain things 
allowed me to do that. And I, and I share that now with a lot of people, especially very driven people like ourselves, because it's really easy to get so focused on, on the end goal or that house or that mm. thing. And then you realize when you actually get that, that moment is really short lived, right. right? It's very short. There's actually a name for it. It's a psychological phenomenon. I mean, I, I've trained so many clients that have trained for an event, like a run, a race or a competition and the 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 depression and the sadness and the lack of motivation they get after the event right. is like clockwork. Like every time, like I did that race, now what? I'm not motivated anymore. Like how do I how do I keep going? Like I don't have this thing I'm driving towards because they were so attached to this this thing that they had achieved and there wasn't something something deeper for them. Right. What are some traits? What are some key traits you look for in people that you want to develop? Really, there's three things that I look for. You have to have grand ambition. Um, one, just to, to be interesting to me and for me not to seem crazy to you. You've also got to be dreaming big. Like you can imagine if I said to a whole swath of humanity, if you're not thinking about terraforming, then you're just not dreaming big enough. They'd be like, who the <laughs> fuck is this guy? <laughs> right? Like that's so dumb to them. Like yeah. it's just dumb. I think like, about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy to say that. Yeah. So, uh, and that, that to me, like that's just, um, that's so necessary. Like for me to enjoy life and, and really fall in love with an idea or somebody else, like they've got to have that similar grand ambition. Just it's a, a framework thing. Um, and then the other is drive. Because to me, a lot of people will think about terraforming, but they're not actually going to do it ever. Mm. They know that. I know that. Um, all their friends and family know that. They're an empty dreamer. And like if you really wanted to like offend me, call me an empty dreamer, right? Because that like that... <laughs> When I say it, I mean it super offensively. So it's like to to get lost in your dream, to be pacified by the dream itself instead of actually going for it. And that's a Ryan Holiday thing, man. Yeah. So uh, he's just an incredible mind. And, and the ego is the enemy. He talks about that, that some people actually get pacified by saying like, I'm going to go for it tomorrow. And merely saying it is enough for them, right? So don't want empty dreamers. Drive to me is the willingness to stick it out, to garner the skills that you need to acquire in order to actually go terraform or whatever yeah. grand thing it is that you want to do. And then the third one, and this is, is true of me, and I think that it's um, very much not universal. It's not something that everybody has, nor does everybody want, uh, but compassion. And I just, I really, really enjoy seeing good things happen to other people. I really enjoy being a part of a team. I'm not a guy that wants to be all alone. I really like having people around me that play at my level that are exceptional, extraordinary human beings. I want to acknowledge them for what they've done, their contributions. Um, so for me to get to a mountaintop and not share it with somebody else would just be heartbreaking. And there's that great quote, a pleasure shared is a pleasure doubled. And I really, really believe that. And so I look for people that want that, that want to be a part of a team, that like to celebrate and win together, that aren't, um, that aren't like unduly jealous when somebody on the team succeeds, right? Another so, hard thing to find. Yeah, and it, and it is. And especially when you're looking for drive and ambition, you normally find competition with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a competitive guy, but I don't put it in my like top three qualities that I feed mm -hmm. myself. I think it's important, and it's, it goes back to what I say. People should be, um, they should be driven by beauty and rage on equal measure. It's so much cooler to say an equal measure, but it really should be like an 80-20 split, right? 80% of your time should be focused on the beautiful things you have and the beautiful things you want to create. Um, but 20% of the time should be rage for not being good enough for the fuckhead who slighted you, for the people that don't believe in you. Um, and I think that it's 
incredibly useful as a human being to go, that person doubts me and I'm going to prove them wrong and it is going to be delicious. Mm-hmm. And, and to just revel in that and to know. But if you spend all of your time there, then you're Darth Vader, right? So you've given in to the dark side. But it doesn't mean that you don't use it. There's like, I'm going to just get, give this all to keep you, going, Justin. Dude, so here's the thing. Here's what <laughs> makes Star Wars so fucking powerful is it, it's one of the few times where they really acknowledge that there's power to the light and there's power mm-hmm. to the dark. And that Darth Vader, it, like, all, I ask people this one simple question and they all get it in an instant. Like, I want you guys all to do this. Think of the last time that you were enraged. Like, fucking enraged. Yeah. Got it? Mm-hmm. All right. It's intoxicating, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful you and it's purity, it. right? Mm-hmm. Because now you're not going to stop. There, a part of your brain that assesses risk and reward, fear, insecurity, it, it shuts off. It's mm-hmm. gone. There's none of that. There is only blind, unadulterated rage. It is movement in one direction. It is attack. It's mm-hmm. full fucking speed. It's I don't give a shit what happens. I'm going to ruin you. You just consume everything in front of you. Oh my God. Like like a fireball of death. Yeah. And it feels so good. And people don't talk about how clarity feels good. Clarity mm. feels good. Clarity is intoxicating. People will follow. Look at fucking Hitler, a blind, raging maniac. But he knew exactly what he wanted. Mm. And yeah. there was so much clarity and energy that people could get behind it and draft on it. But when you give in, when that is your dominant emotion, when that's the dominant thing that motivates you, you you're Darth Vader. Enslaved as right? a machine. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. So it it the beauty of Star Wars is that. Luke begins to realize, like, holy shit, there's power over here. Mm-hmm. But I see how it ends up and it becomes destructive and becomes And he taps into it a little bit, too. He feels it. And, and he, he knows, like, right then, it's like, oh, my God, you know, I, I, I can't become this. Right. And that's what that whole, you know, that imagery that we see, you know, uh, on Dagobah and all that. Like, we see all that, so... Yeah. Tom, do you do do you do stuff right now currently within the company, or did you guys do this in Quest to like kind of foster that culture uh, of the eighty twenty or the top three? Just in general of like fostering a culture, of people like what are do you guys do uh, like practices, or is there certain things that have you uh, designed the layout of the office, or is there certain things you do for your employees? Are there, are there things like that that you've done to I- encourage this in, this healthy environment of the people that you want to cultivate? Most definitely. So the um, the thing that we looked for and trained all of our um, HR department, all of our managers to look for in employees was grand ambition, drive, and compassion. Um, I just recently, just recently took a note. In fact, God, if I can pull it up really fast. Um, I turned my phone off during these. I'll see if I can ballpark <laughs> it. But basically... You need to create tracks for your employees. And this is something that I didn't do at Quest and I regret it. Because when people come into a company, they need to know what does the future look like, right? People want movement. They want to be able to go somewhere within the company. But not everybody is driven in the same way that other people are. And you don't want to hold everyone to the same exact standard. And I learned that the hard way because I wanted everyone to think like I thought, to be like I am, to be driven. And like you're just going to go up and ultimately you're going to branch out and start your own company. And in the beginning, that's I just hired that. I was looking for entrepreneurs. I was looking for other people and Basically, my thing was give me two years and then go, I'll teach you everything I know. Go start your own company. And that's like really dysfunctional. You actually don't want to do that. (laughs) I had to learn that the hard way. Um, One, the vast majority of people will make a terrible entrepreneur and that's not actually what they want. So Mm -hmm. when you build a culture that only rewards that, people will fake being that just to fit in. So that's a terrible idea. So I broke it. It goes something like this. There were five. So forgive me if I forget one of them. Um, But it was uh, continuity players. So there, your head down, get my work done, nine to five. I really want to contribute and do a good job for you, but my job is not my life. 
and I will act in accordance with that. So don't, I'm not the guy you call on a Saturday. I'm not the guy you ask to stay late. Like, okay, I'm a continuity player. Um, those people will more or less stay stagnant. They'll get their two to 5% raise year over year. And as long as they're fine with that, I'm fine with that. They're not ambitious. They're not pushing themselves. The next is a linchpin. And a linchpin is somebody that is just an unstoppable force of nature within the company. They, man, if you need somebody to run through a wall, they're going to be the one that does it. They're going to acquire skills that they know will make them more valuable. They're going to be moving up in the organization. They're a John Wooden style team player where it's like, hey, is that the role you need me to play? I'm going to play that role. If that's what the team needs right now, like I'm going to be that. And I'm going to keep my eye out constantly for that. And I'm going to figure that out. The next is an intrapreneur. So somebody who thinks like an entrepreneur, but they don't ever want the ass ache of owning their own company, but they're a problem solver. They're going to be a big, bit of a rogue agent. Half the time, you're going to be fucking pissed off at them for like running off and <laughs> oh doing God. something. But that was me. the <laughs> other half of the time, they'll do something ingenious, right? And you'd be like, thank God I have this person because they're really pushing the envelope. They're thinking outside the box. They're maybe the one person that's going to keep us from getting eaten by the people coming up behind us because they're not willing to question everything, to challenge the status quo, to just be data-driven and say, we've got to change this shit. It's not working. Working, right. So, but they're not, they don't want to start their own company. So they're not going to leave. Then there's true entrepreneurs and you're going to get them for a couple years. They're going to be some of the most exceptional people that you have, but you know that you have them for a very limited time. They have an incredible mind because they will treat every dollar like it's their own. They're really trying to learn every aspect of a business. They're going to have a total view of it because they have that sense of if we fail, everything goes away because they've trained themselves to think like that. Maybe they've been entrepreneurial in the past. So they really act like a business owner. Super, super valuable, usually short-time solutions. Maybe there's only four because that feels complete. So those are the <laughs> those were like the me sort of thinking through as we scale impact theory, like they're going to fall into these categories. So back at Quest, I treated everyone like an entrepreneur. And for entrepreneurs, it was awesome. And we got along so fucking well. Entrepreneurs got along with them very, very well. But continuity players looked at me like I was a dick and just like did not understand my mentality because I'm over here pushing them to like be the next big thing. Like, come on, man. Like, That's not what don't they want. you want? It's not what they want. Right. Like they just want to come in. Like they want a good job. They want to contribute. They want to be meaningful, but they don't, Dude, I nine to five it, bro. Like I've built my life around this. I want my time with my family. I'm not overly ambitious. And that is completely fair. So it's about, and I got this from our CFO who said, um, there are two tracks. I think he was at Johnson & Johnson. Anyway, it was a, one of the big, big companies. And he said that they force people to choose a path. And you're either... Um, up or out or continuity, I think it was that. It's like you either get promoted or you get asked to leave the company. I was like, you actually say that to people. Do you want to be on the up or out track or do you want to be continuity? He's like, yes. It's like, it's actually Whoa, pretty dope to think that of. is, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, cut through all the bullshit. Right? Like, straight who are you? Decide. <laughs> if you're not moving up, you're probably moving out. <laughs> you're yeah. moving out. Yeah. And so I was like, wait. So if you're, if you're a continuity player, Stairs you don't actually yeah. put pressure on them to go up? No. They're a continuity player. That reminds is it the E-Myth Revisited? Have you read that? Yeah. And Michael Gerber. Didn't yeah. they get into some of that in there? I think that's part of that. I don't know. That mm, reminded me of Technician. It's been a yeah. long time. Mm. I don't remember him what language he used, but that's right. I think he was right. a technician, yeah. 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 Entrepreneur. So, so well, when, you're they, hi- when you're hiring for positions, then do you look at the position and what you want out of it and say, okay, I want this is a position for an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur or a continuity or 
Is that part of your process now? I'll, I'll say like 70% of your hires will fall into a really clear bucket. And then 30%, it's like, who's the person? Like, mm. you know, an assembly line person, you're basically either you want to pay your dues and get off the line or you're going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. And there's not much in between. So that one is, you're going to find a lot of continuity players on a manufacturing line or something like that. Um, but then other roles, it's like, hey, you know, what do you want to be in marketing forever? And like, that's where you're at. You just really, really like the creative process. So you could be either a linchpin or a continuity player there or an entrepreneur. And I know, well, you're just going to crush it for two years and then then that's it. And your entrepreneurs, you probably move them around, right? They're the division head that, well, maybe the division works and they run that forever, or maybe that division doesn't work and you point them at something else. And um, But usually entrepreneurs over time will get frustrated and leave just because as a company gets big, I should say, because that's what they hate. They hate bureaucracy. They hate sloth. They need to be given like a skunk works type project where they can go be a risk taker, really try things, move fast, be nimble, feel their personality. And that's why they're like an entrepreneur, but not quite. Yeah. They mm. just, some people don't want the ass ache of big teams. They don't want the ass ache of, hey, if this all fails, I lose my house. They don't want to have to know where their next paycheck is coming from. Wow. Do you, can you talk about some of the up and coming talent you have coming up or ideas or? Are you unable to talk about? No, I mean, I can talk about anything. So right now, we're not um, expanding the staff much. Right now, our big focus is on um, doing... Um, there is a word. Now we're intern. Wow. <laughs> uh, so it, yeah, we've got a bunch of um, uh, interns coming in and, and that's going to be really helpful. And that came out of... So I've been giving this talk for a really long time. So a lot of times a young person will come up to me and say, hey, what do I do? Um, you know, how do I get ahead fast? And my answer is go give the person living the life that you want to live the following speech. And don't give someone the speech if they're sort of living the life you want to live. Like this is what you give to the person who's living your fantasy fucking life. You go to them and say, I'm going to work harder and smarter than anyone you've ever met before. And I'm going to do it for free for 90 days. If at the end of the 90 days, you feel that I've added so much value that you'd rather pay me than lose me, then I'll stay on. If not, at least oh my we had you know the the time together. All I ask in exchange is knowledge and connections. And I said that's how you do it. And then in those ninety days, you better blind them with performance. Like don't fucking come in and be good. Like this is the standing outside in the rain for four days. Like Fight Club, Project Mayhem. I'm in it for everything. Whatever you need me to do, I'm in. Like if you do that, anticipate their needs. Like really, really crush it. Like you have to turn off your ego to pull this off. But at the end of the 90 days, if you smash everything they ask you to do, whether it's go take my dogs for a walk or it's like go write this, you know, really important piece of content that we need for the website and you crush them both or, hey, I need you to go deal with this vendor who's fucking us over on our delivery of T-shirts and you make that problem go away and you're doing it all for free. Like if you do that and crush it, the chances of you getting a job are Unbelievable! Oh, high. super high. Could you imagine? I would hire someone like that in a right. second. Could you second. imagine the culture that was, <laughs> right. that that would oh so, that would feed into? Now right? I've been saying that for like three years now. So just last night, as but one example, guy comes up to me and he says, "Hey, 
Somebody really smart once told me to say the following words to the person oh, living my dream life. And he gives me the pitch. Now, this happens to me all the time now. Uh, now, 90% of the time, like, oh, man, that's so great, but I'm, I'm not really the guy living the life that you want to live, am I? And the answer is no. It's just that I'm the one that said it, so they think I'm going to uh, be receptive to it. So I'm like, look, do yourself a favor. Do me a favor, too, but find that person who's really living your fantasy life and go give them that speech because it will work. And I always tell people it's no or a restraining order, but nothing in between. And you do that enough and you're finally going to get somebody that bites and you'll really like aim for the, the ceiling. Like who, who is it that you want? Like, is it Bill Gates? Is it Elon Musk? Like go give them that pitch. And I wish that I had done that when I was in my early twenties and I had very little, um, economic need. You could work for, you know, literally nothing and survive for a while, sleep on a friend's couch, whatever, get it done. And um, so we've had enough people come up to me like that, that we decided, hey, let's do an internship program. Let's do like these 90 day chunks. Let's get people in here. And then, you know, one, maybe one in a hundred are just such absolute rock stars that it's like, yeah, I would rather pay and make sure that we keep you. Do you know, it, it seems like such the obvious thing to do when you really think about it. It's so weird that we don't process and think that way, mm-hmm. because if you saw a company or a guy who, oh my, I'm so fascinated with what you're doing. I love right. what you're doing. I want to be a part of what you're doing so bad. And I have these talents or I could work. It's like, it's almost seems like a no brainer that that would be the approach is let me show you that I can. And yeah. you, it would be obvious for you if you saw a guy that actually provided value to what you do. But in reality, most people don't really want to take the action to do anything. They want to say uh, it. Well, that's sure. true. Mm-hmm. But it's brilliant. It's a brilliant, uh, a brilliant what you're doing with the internship because you're going you're gonna to see some incredible talent. And yeah. at the same time, you're giving people who are willing to do the work and opportunity, which is all they want. For sure. All they want is that opportunity. How do you deal with the entitlement culture with that's, that? That's where I was going with because, that. <laughs> because it feels like, look, I'll tell you something. I, I was raised yeah, I by... a 401k. Yeah, I'm, okay. I, I, you know, I'm a first-generation American. Needs to have I, I was, purpose. I, my parents, poor uh, Sicilian immigrants, and that's how I was raised. My dad told me that. My dad said, you go in there, you wash those dishes better than anybody, so good that that guy's going to want to pay you because you do such a good job. Like That's the way I was raised. Um, but I don't see that a lot. And when you even say internship, people are like, no, you got to pay me and I don't want, I'm not going to do anything for free. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So I've been on two sides of this equation. One where, um, I'm in a company and it has uh, structure and it has HR people who say that I'm crazy and that legally I can't do what I want to do and all this stuff, which by the way, anybody out there listening to this right now, when somebody tells you that, uh, I want you to look them in the face and say, I'm very, very grateful for your advice. Um, and I'm honored to have you on this team. But bitch, you thought. And I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And whatever wording, verbiage, whatever we have to call this role to not pay them for whatever period of time, like call it that. Because I can't tell you how many times people told me you can only do it if they get college credit. Nope. Fuck that. Sure. Like if they want to come in and figure this out, like let's figure this out. There is a way and people get trapped by um, stuff like that. And it drives me absolutely fucking crazy. So anyway, don't, don't get trapped by rules and regulations. Mm. There is always an ethical, an ethical way. There is always an ethical way around the problem. I promise you. Yes. But people just take the first answer like, yeah, anyway, so and, I won't do relevant. And what makes me so mad about it, it, what really pisses me off is that people want to fucking do it. Like, I bet you had applications. I, I, yeah, exactly. Fucking going yes. out, you know, out the windows. Just and you the experience. More than, you, more than you could yeah. possibly use because people are itching for that opportunity, but you've got other people who want to get in the middle of that and tell you, no, no, you got to do it. You can't yeah. do it that way, and it's got to be 
college credit and all this other stuff. Yes, correct. And and as the leader of the company, you have to take the responsibility to not let things erode to that point where it's like you've just gotten to the point where you just bend to every legal concern and all. There's always an ethical solution to the problem. I promise. Mm. So, but in that system where I was part of a bigger company and people weren't necessarily dealing with me now, and it sort of becomes, um, mm. uh, you know, it's once or twice removed from sort of the heart of the ethos of the company, that's where it gets harder. And there is a lot of entitlement and they feel, you know, the person looking for the intern feels that it's like, I have to pick from who I have. Sure. It's like, the more you raise the standards, the higher you raise them, one, that becomes a siren call for a certain type of person. Um, and then two, I think that if, if you just like don't have a scarcity mentality, more people will come, more people will come, say no, say no, say no. If it's the wrong person, say no. And then you will find somebody and literally so, and then I'll give you, I'll juxtapose it on impact theory. We literally said, hey, everybody, this is like Fight Club and you're going to be doing the equivalent of standing in the rain for four days. His name is Robert Paulson. Exactly. (laughs) Before we let you inside. And if you're prepared to deal with that, then you're our kind of intern. If you're not, then we're just not right for you. And I want this to be right for you. But we're going to give you an obscene amount of value. I'm going to make sure by the end of the internship that I've delivered more value to you than you've delivered to me. That's my promise. Mm. So, but to step up to that table, like you're following my content because you know I think a certain way. So since you know I think a certain way, don't expect to show up and I'm less of that right. than off camera than I am on camera, right? So the guy on camera says he's motivated by beauty and rage and that 20% is fucking fury. <laughs> and like, so that's how it's going to be in real life. Like, yeah. so don't come expecting something else. And you know, that I'm the guy that like, I will get it done. Like first there, last to leave, work obscene amounts of hours. Like the only way to impress a human being is to be capable of the extraordinary. Like there's just no shortcut. Like there's nothing you can say that's going to make me be like, oh, wow. But there's a whole lot of stuff you can do that'll make me go, whoa, that's really impressive. Mm. So that's all we're looking for. The vast majority of people will say it, then they won't do it. They will burn out in the program. And then it's a numbers game. You know, If we can get a one in a hundred hit rate, I'll be ecstatic. Wow. That's okay. awesome. Uh, are you guys in the phase right now with Impact Theory where you're, you're currently just building your your audience just building a massive audience yeah we're doing really all three things at once so okay. we're building the audience and then we've had the very good fortune because of how visible the show is um people bring companies to us with frequency and um, that's getting pretty exciting so we're beginning to incubate some companies and then on the content side we're now just beginning we've started taking meetings with the studios that would be awesome if we could leapfrog and get the rights to something that they're already doing um, you know, and I've, I've talked about that underserved properties that I think thematically, ideologically are aligned with impact theory, where we could take it, show the merchandising model, prove it out probably through comic books, all user submitted, um, and, and really work that out. So we're just now beginning to request that the community send in original ideas, um, because I think it's going to be a very slow burn, but there are mm. a couple things that we're working on. One that we talked about before rolling, I won't mention mm-hmm. now. And then a couple of other things that are so early stage, um, but they could turn into something. So that I think we're probably still, I don't know, three to six months out from getting really serious about traditional narrative stuff. Uh, because it's it's such a long-term play. We need a much bigger community to get a lot of submissions. Um, but the community's growing really, really rapidly. And so Yeah, I was just gonna ask you, how incredible. fast is your audience growing right now? Oh, yeah, it's crazy, he's fast. crazy fast. Yeah. Crazy. You were you're doubled already or almost tripled YouTube since the last time that we were together, which was yeah. just like yeah, you're a month growing, ago, yeah, yeah, very, very fast rate. You know, and I think you, you didn't really touch too much on it, but I think it's so important. It's something that you do really well. I mean, 
when you started to to post on like YouTube, like consistency, like I mean, you. I tell people this all the time. Like YouTube is now. If you stop looking at YouTube, like you look at a lot of people look at like a, like a social media thing, and more of it like what what TV was twenty years ago, and you start thinking of it like a, a network and your own channel and that mm-hmm. stuff, and start looking at yourself if you're putting yourself on YouTube as a Fox or NBC or something like that, and think about it like that. It'll help you out. And you know how pissed are you when you come on at your favorite show comes on Monday at seven, and next Monday it doesn't. I mean, that's right. going to piss you off. Like, and if it's shot fuzzy and makes me dizzy watching it, probably not going to watch it. Right. Like, you know, just start thinking that way, the same way you would consume uh, television before in the past. That YouTube, you do a very good job of that. That. It's one of the few channels I feel on YouTube that is already making that transition. I feel like that looks like I'm watching TV almost right. on there. And you've you had a, a couple of videos go viral. Yeah, it's been yeah. crazy. Which ones are the ones that went viral? There was that gentleman on there that was talking about the millennials. Min- yeah, yeah, that one went all over the place. That was nuts. That had over 150 million. Views. Holy shit, that's what? Yeah. yeah. Damn, it's still wow. Crazy. It struck a nerve. It's amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In a big way. And virality is one of those things. Like we joke with people that want us to like um, consult with them, and we're like, "Hey, look. First rule of building your social following: just have a massive viral hit. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah that yeah. will take care of so no much. problem, man. So <laughs> yeah, take it off the for you. So we were all joking about it, right? So we do because that one was with Inside Quest, huge, huge, huge. And we said, okay, what do we really need to do to get Impact Theory off the ground? We're like, we need a viral hit. Totally joking, right? And then like episode number five goes fucking viral. And we are like laughing. It got 11 million views. We're like, this is crazy. We are now literally people come to us because they want to go viral. It's so crazy. So, But we're really beginning to sort of break down like what does a viral hit look like? Hmm. Because there are certain things. And I will tell you, part of it is people have to love it and people have to hate it. Yes, because that that video we have that example. was very polarizing. We have that example in our own podcast. Yeah. If you would ask me, do I think it's like our best podcast? No, not at all. But it was definitely the most polarizing yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah, because that, no that, that particular It's clip. still being hated and loved about. You yeah. know, like it's yeah. caused the most drama, but also the most love. It's has to have that. Yeah, you guys, did point. you guys get a lot of hate from for that particular yeah, part? of course. <laughs> oh, wow. This guy's a fucking idiot. What does he know? Like, yeah. what a dick. And then the... Um, the woman uh that went viral names mel robbins people literally she's an idiot she's an idiot she's an idiot yeah. oh my god mel you changed my life this is so amazing thank you so much yeah. like so it was like what the <laughs> fuck like how are these people watching the same person and i'll never understand why people take the time to like tell somebody that they're an idiot just move on like it's such a <laughs> yeah. catastrophic is she gonna be like reading the comments responds. oh i'm yeah. an idiot <laughs> oh my God! You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So man. you know what I'll do? So I'll fuck with somebody that. and actually, yeah. I'll actually engage those people and tell them that it's. <laughs> I'll actually break down the reflection of themselves nice. that they're having for having the the need to get out there and tell someone they're an idiot. Like that's such you're you're totally announcing your insecurity to have to go right. on a social oh media platform God. on someone you don't supposedly like, you know, you hate, and actually go out of your way to do that. Yeah, what a, a lot waste of steps out of What your a game. waste of calories. My, yes. Uh, <laughs> my favorite is when people comment like unfollow. I'm like. Oh, Oh my God. <laughs> you just lost a follower. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, please. <laughs> so how, how far away do you think you, you guys are from developing your first uh, like narrative story? Or your theme park. Well, when are we going to have a theme park, bro? Yeah, that's the real question, yes. right? So um, I'll answer both. So <laughs> you'll have uh, the first narrative. 
I think will come out in comic book form will come out in, in the next six months for sure. Oh, wow. So we started, cool. yeah, oh, we started nice. asking people for ideas specifically in the comic book genre. We started talking to comic book artists. So I was just down at the Anaheim Comic Con. And by the way, anybody listening, I'm going to hijack your audience for a minute. Anybody <laughs> listening, if I have brought value to your life and you can get me into the San Diego Comic Con, <laughs> you are my hero. Hit me up at at Tom Bilyeu. I am hell bent to go. Dude, I want to go with you. I used, dude. All right, motherfucker. <laughs> Justin and I are going <laughs> to the Comic Con. Yes! Now here's the thing. I used to go every year, and a tragedy struck. Wow. My wife's birthday and our anniversary, which happened to be a week apart. The only two weekends the San Diego Comic Con ever do it are the weekend of my anniversary or the weekend of her birthday. Okay? Oh, come so on, that, that is ultra shiitake. Yeah, and then. So one year, I'm feeling like the pressure. I was like, baby, you know what? I'm not going to go to Comic-Con this year. I'm going to stay home for your birthday. I'm going to show you that you're more important. <laughs> the next year, they implemented the policy that you had to wait in line unless you'd gone the year before. Uh, I was like, motherfuckers. <laughs> I was so pissed. How? How that year? That year. So since yes. then, I've been like in purgatory where I have to do like the <laughs> like you're, you're hitting like refresh, refresh, refresh like a thousand <laughs> times trying to get your fucking ticket. So now uh, I'm just like. When is it? All right. Uh, it's July 20th, 27th, right around there. Oh, that sounds fun. So <laughs> it, it somebody, is, there's yeah. gotta be somebody. Hey, you can help a brother out. Going, hey, come I on. Going yeah, to no, San Diego We're Comic-Con. getting you there. My PR agent's I want it to be a pump like, it. I got you, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you really? No. Jennifer, you're you're on national television right now. Point that camera at her. Point that camera at her. <laughs> hey. Right here, right now. You're telling me you're getting me into San Diego. Oh, oh. Justin wants one too, though. Me. Dude, we we Justin, go. That's good. That's his thing. Hook You're my hero. Wow. Look at that. Uh, this at is that. an example. So literally, that just happened. boys and girls, that just happened. I want everyone to hear. You just have to say shit out loud. Like, <laughs> literally, say things out loud. I, this is like my whole thing. I just thing. invited myself. Say it out loud. <laughs> you sound like the secret now, right? <laughs> just ask for the check to go in your fucking mailbox. Here's yeah. the thing. The secret's bullshit. But, <laughs> yes. But, I'll, I'll give it to you in way better words. You don't get laid if you don't ask. This is very true. Right? You don't get laid if you don't ask. So if I don't you know. Like, one time I got laid. Time. Asking. <laughs> so ah, that's, man, tell people what you're trying to do. You'll be surprised who comes to your aid. Thank you, Jennifer. That's, that's awesome. That Much is appreciate. Well, that fucking is, awesome, amazing. dude. It's always awesome talking to you. You guys, I have yeah. to say... This is so much fun. You guys are the most fun that I ever have doing podcasts. And now I've done it twice, so I can say it. Like, it's so much fun. I listened back to our episode. I was telling you guys this before we started rolling. You can hear we're having fun. Yeah. Like, just in the way, like, we're talking and going back and forth. You guys are a fucking blast. If there is ever anyone that I can help get on the show, I will be the most unendingly positive, like, <laughs> testimonial yeah. for you guys. So Amazing. let me know. If you want someone to do a channel commercial, let me know. Excellent. Like, anything I can do to help. You guys yeah. are just awesome. Excellent, brother. Really, really appreciate it. Love you, man. Thanks awesome. for coming on again. Dude, yeah, thank yeah. you for having me. Great it's time, been man. a lot of fun. Listen, go to mindpumpmedia.com. We're still offering 30 days of coaching for free. You can also check us out on Instagram at Mind Pump Radio. You can find my personal page at Mind Pump Sal. Justin is at Mind Pump Justin and Adam is at Mind Pump Adam. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. 
Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.